Today's episode of Something to Wrestle With is brought to you by StarCast on Fight.com. I don't know if you heard the news, but now when you pre-order StarCast on Fight, as long as you do it by August 19th, you not only get StarCast 3, which will be the first time we've heard from CM Punk in years, you'll also hear the incredible, undesirable to undeniable story, the story of Cody Rhodes as he sits down with Tony Schiavone. But maybe the hottest star in the business, he'll be back with a live mic in his hand. We're talking about John Moxley sitting down with good old JR and a ton of other shows. You also get StarCast 1 and StarCast 2. You'll get a debate between Bruce Pritchard and Eric Bischoff as part of StarCast 1 and a bunch of other stuff. But my favorite shows, well, a lot of those happened at StarCast 2. We got Sting to sit down and take us behind the paint with Tony Schiavone. We also had Dustin Rhodes sit down and tell you all about his WWF run and more importantly, what you didn't know about Dustin Rhodes, the man behind the paint with Kenny McIntosh. And how about Arn Anderson with a live mic in his hand for the first time post WWE with Tony Schiavone. So many great shows. It's something like 70 hours worth of content. It's only $39.99, but you've got to pre-order StarCast 3 by August 19th. And then in the meantime, you get to enjoy StarCast 1 and 2 all included. Why wouldn't you do this? It's like 67 cents an hour. Check it out right now. StarCast on Fight. That's S-T-A-R-R-C-A-S-T on Fight. F-I-T-E dot com. StarCast has two R's and Fight is F-I-T-E. StarCast on Fight dot com. Welcome to Something to Wrestle With. Bruce. Well, you know, that's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib? No, yeah, but there's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. You, Bruce. Thompson, and you're listening to something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? It is another day in paradise. Uh, just sitting out here looking at the wonderful red carpet Inn on East main street, Sanford, Connecticut, one of the finer establishments around town. Wow. So how about this? We're broadcasting from the, uh, WWE HQ today. This is, uh, wow. That's an interesting turn of events that we wouldn't have seen. Did you realize that this show is our three year anniversary show? Had you put that together? Wow, that's scary. Yeah, today is the three-year anniversary of the debut of Something to Wrestle. And, um, yeah, who would have thought this is where we would be uh, in just three short years? Our anniversary episode, and you're broadcasting from maybe the boiler room inside the WWHQ? No, I'm underneath that. <laughs> I mean, serious business. Are you, like, in your office? You're in a conference room? You're in a studio? Where are you at? I'm, I'm actually sitting in my office right now. God damn boy. This is going to be a fun show today. I love these anniversary shows. Uh, and, and today is, uh, our anniversary show, the, the three year anniversary. So happy anniversary, Bruce. Are you going to sing to me like happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary. I think it's the only one I know that's from the Flintstones. 
Uh, we should also mention that uh, the real reason we're covering The Rock today is The Rock's got a brand new movie coming out this weekend. Hobbs and Shaw, part of that Fast and the Furious uh, franchise. It's uh, projected to do incredibly well. $200 million budget. Biggest movie star in the world. Who saw that 20 years ago? Chat me up. Are you going to go see Hobbs and Shaw this weekend? I feel like the rest of the world is. Well, I, I might. I'm actually going to stay up in the Northeast this weekend. So who knows? Maybe I'll just uh, head on out over to the Cineplex multi-fasted theater and uh, do that. Did I say it correctly that time? Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a pass. You know, it's our anniversary or whatever. So uh, chat me up. Talk to me about the feedback you got from last week's episode. Mostly positive. I think that, uh, you know, we took that love to know and made the absolute most out of it. I always love to get uh, questions from our listeners. Not all the questions, if you know what I mean. Um, but it was a lot of fun for me, and I enjoy, I enjoy just more than anything listening to some of the things that uh, are on people's minds. I think it was probably our best reviewed love to know in a long time. Uh, maybe the best one that we've ever done. Uh, I saw that comment a lot. And I also saw a lot of props for our long stretches of silence. People really got tickled at the first one, but I think the second one caught a lot of people by surprise, which they shouldn't have, but you know, we had fun with that and, uh, we're going to have fun with today. The rock 2001 through 2004. We've teased this one for a long time. So I'm excited that we're finally getting to do it. And I'm excited that you're finally getting your cock real, real hard. Tell everybody all about what you're doing these days to get it really, really hard. Well, you keep asking me, how, how can you do it? How can you do it? And the simple answer is blue tube. Because what we're talking about here is just good sex. Everybody wants to have good sex, but not everybody wants to go wait in line and wait in the doctor's office and ask the doctor all kinds of embarrassing questions and things like that. Blue Chew you bypass all of that man you simply go to bluechew.com and you of course knows what happened after you of course knows what happens after that i'm still dealing with the teeth issues but uh no other issues with blue chew by god <laughs> go to bluechew.com and get your dick real real hard we're gonna get you your first shipment for free all you've got to do is pay five dollar shipping when you use our promo code wrestle give her something to wrestle with at bluechew.com and we should mention that this isn't just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants some extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. So you don't have to, you know, wait till your Bruce's age to do this. You're good to go. Now you want a little round two action. We got you. Now you got to try blue chew. All of our friends are loving this. Lots of folks in the wrestling business are using this. It's made right here in the USA. It's got the same active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis, but it's chewable. So it works faster, often up to twice as fast. And uh, we should mention that it's free. Just pay $5 shipping when you use our promo code wrestle. That's bluechew.com, B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. They've been with us for a long, long time. And Bruce, you haven't gotten any more text messages about people from people, uh, wondering, uh, Hey Connie, uh, How's that blue chew work? That, that thing gimmick? No, it's not a gimmick. It's a real thing. And, uh, you hadn't got any more of those kind of texts or anything. Have you? Let me tell you what I got. I got a text message on, um, one of the, the bright young stars in the business. I mean, seriously, somebody that you think is going to be 
a real big deal. And, uh, they text me on Wednesday, July 24th at two 23 in the afternoon. There's like seven dots. And then that blue chew is no fucking joke. People are loving blue chew. It's going to make a believer into you go to bluechew.com. Use our promo code wrestle. And with that, Bruce, no more commercials today. How about that? We're going to make this a commercial free show. I like it from here on out, baby. It's all about the rock for most of, if not all of 2000, the rock was the top baby face and the top guy in the WWF. He lost the world title to Kurt angle in October and Steve Austin returned to the company around the same time and heading into 2001 rock is seemingly pushed back a little bit. He's no longer the champion. Austin has sort of reclaimed his spot as the top baby face. What was that dynamic like when, you know, the Austin had to take a break, had to go have surgery, had some time on the shelf. So that creates an opportunity for a new tippy top guy that of course becomes the rock. But now that Austin's coming back, how does that dynamic change or does it? I don't know that it necessarily changes because it's just one more guy to work with. And it's the top guy basically coming back to work. So it's a great dynamic it's they had chemistry everything about it because you can only work with so many people and when most of your career has been getting over and getting to this point with one guy that being steve austin who they both catapulted at the same time man and and blew up steve before rock but i don't think that steve austin would have maybe been as popular without the rock and vice versa. I don't think that the rock would have gotten over as strongly without stone cold, Steve Austin. Let's fast forward to, uh, the Royal rumble pay-per-view. The rock is involved in that. Uh, the winner is going to get a world title shot at WrestleMania. Of course, he's going to come in at number 28 and eliminate the Godfather big show and Rikishi, but eventually Kane eliminates him. But before that happens, Oh, yes. I'm sorry. We see a confrontation between rock and Austin, which sort of plants the seeds of the eventual WrestleMania main event. You guys had already done rock and Austin as a main event at WrestleMania back at WrestleMania 15, two years later, we know that's, what's going to happen at WrestleMania 17, but chat me up. When did you guys sort of know, Hey, this is what the main event is. Did you know before Austin even came back that, well, this is the only logical answer. I mean, he's our top star now, the rock. And when Austin comes back, they've got a, they've got a collide at WrestleMania 17. We definitely hope so. And you, you never really do know until that talent is cleared and they are actually back. And then once they're back, that they've got the rhythm back and all is good. So you can be hopeful all you want. But with Steve, it was, we didn't know, and we needed to get him back to see exactly how he was doing. But once he got back, then all bets were off. And it was like, okay, this is exactly where we needed to go because that was the two biggest stars in the company. And as we've, we've talked a lot of times, this was during the period that we were looking for Steve to turn heel and, and do a double turn type thing. But, um, you know, we all know how that turned out, but yes, to answer your question, uh, yes. Once Steve came back and was healthy and we knew he was ready to go, we knew that's the match we were going with. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, some mainstream publicity that the rock is going to start getting here. Um, it's rumored according to the observer that on the January 29th, raw from Pittsburgh, it was proposed to do an angle where 
uh, Kurt Angle would play back his interview from a year earlier where he challenged Mario Lemieux to come back. Of course, Lemieux had come back. So Angle wanted to take credit for that, but then the rock would come out and confront him. And supposedly there would have been an opportunity to do some pre-tape stuff for Lemieux, but for whatever reason, it didn't work out. Do you remember this idea? Because this is sort of rare. You guys didn't do a lot of positioning with hockey. Was there consideration of doing something with Mario Lemieux and the rock here? Nothing more than consideration and talking about possibly doing it. That doesn't mean it was etched in stone. I don't know if anyone ever got to Lemieux and, and pitched it or the organization or anything else, but that might've been an idea that had been talked about along with a lot of other people. So wasn't that big of a deal. It's just fun though. When you think about, and I don't know that a lot of people put two and two together, but Wayne Gretzky, obviously the, one of the biggest names in hockey history, his nickname is the great one. Of course, the rock would call himself the great one. So it was a little fascinating to me that Mario Lemieux was almost involved in something with you guys in mid February, the rock pops up on the tonight show, uh, which is a, a pretty cool opportunity, especially in that era, but it's not his best performance. Um, he's clearly there to talk about, you know, the, uh, the enforcers game, but he doesn't know that maybe. And, uh, he starts a little diatribe talking about, um, you know, the, the, the game and, and how they're playing for peanuts and things like that. And he's trying to do his rock gimmick where he says, and they're, they're chanting the rocks name. They do a cutaway to the crowd, but this isn't a WWF crowd. This is a tonight show crowd. So they're all just sort of laughing and it's summarized as, you know, his least impressive mainstream performance. Uh, so, you know, when we circle back to that these days, is there like a pre-interview that WWE like corporate would require ahead of time? Like, Hey, what are we going to do? And then they catch the guy up and there's some coaching about exactly what they're doing or with a guy like the rock at this point, you just say, go have fun and hope for the best. No, obviously there is. And you know, most good talk shows that there's a lot of times that a talk show and not the tonight show though, but there, there would be a lot of times where they want to do the gotcha and, and, and try to embarrass you. I don't think that this was a case of anything other than rock kind of being in promo mode, ready to go out. He's ready to go out and talk about what he's going to talk about. And now he's talking about something else. Um, just I've done it a million times where you just have that brain fart and move on, <laughs> you know, um, the talk shows, they'll always tell you, Hey, we're going to ask you this. We'll ask you that. anything you want us to stay away from. And I can hear rock then as I could probably hear him now say, Hey man, let's plug the movie. And, uh, no, whatever, whatever you want to go, wherever you want to do, whatever you want to go and wherever you want to do. Yeah. That made sense. Uh, let's just do it. Let's get to the no way out pay-per-view rock is going to get a rematch here with Kurt angle for the world title. And wouldn't you know it? He's successful. They have a great match that goes 16 minutes, 54 seconds. It gets four and a quarter stars on the observer. And as a result, the rock has now regained the WWF world title for a record breaking sixth time. At this point, Hulk Hogan and Bret Hart had five reigns as did the rock, but now the rock has passed those guys. Uh, and he is a six time WWF world champion. Did anybody ever have a bad match with Kurt angle? doesn't seem like it. During this time, Kurt Angle, we used to call him Cyborg. I still call him Cyborg because I think he is. And, you know, Kurt was one of those unique talents that came into the business, came right after the Olympics, still young, 
and the most natural athlete here, this, okay. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to go off on another soapbox here. I saw a deal, uh, online somewhere about like the 50 greatest athletes of all time. Right. And, and, and in that they had, you know, Tiger Woods, who I think is okay. He's a great golfer. I don't know how fast Tiger Woods can run the 40. I don't know if Tiger Woods can take a bump. I don't know that Tiger Woods could get up on the top rope and do a, do a hurricane plancha margarita. I don't know that, you know, they had, they had golfers. They had ping pong players. They're the greatest athletes in the world, but yet truly some of the greatest athletes in the world, like a Kurt angle, I'll, I'll put the rock in there as well. We have some of the greatest athletes in the world and they're totally ignored, but you got Billie Jean King in there and shit. Give me a break. Come on. I'm just saying that pissed me off. So anyway, yeah, Kurt angle was without a doubt. No one could have a bad match with him because Kurt wouldn't allow it. And Kurt was able to make a great match out of anybody. He he would make a shitty match. Great. Hypothetically as a three-time karate black belt hall of famer. Are you one of the greatest athletes of all time? I mean, it certainly oh. seems like it. I should have been on the list. I mean, maybe not the top 50, but 53 or 54, right? Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm not, no, argument, mention. For no argument for me, buddy. Uh, the March 5th raw sweep Vin- the leg. <laughs> no mercy. Uh, Vince would name Austin's wife at the time, Deborah to be rocks manager at WrestleMania in his match with Austin. Hmm. Now, later in the show, rock and Austin would be triple H and angle and the ending would see Austin use the stunner on angle, but Deborah had the ref distracted while Austin went for the pin rock, then covered angle stealing Austin's pin as the ref turned around this angle with Deborah managing rock was quickly dropped and never talked about again, not even on commentary during the WrestleMania match. Did Steve veto this? I mean, it seems like an interesting concept, but it didn't ever play out. So who put the kibosh on it? Steve wasn't the only one vetoing it. It didn't make sense. And I think it was an idea born out of, well, they're married and people know they're married. Not that many people really knew they were married. And Vince wanted to do something to use Deborah, utilize Deborah, trying almost to recreate the Miss Elizabeth in the whole mega powers explodes. Well, Deborah wasn't Miss Elizabeth, and that connection between Rock, Austin, and Deborah, that there, there was no there was no equity in that. So it was kind of a force, and when we got in there and looked at it, it's like why, why would no one knew in the Mega Powers explode that Randy and Liz were married? Mm-hmm. So here you've got to explain all of that, and does that really help your baby face? Steve Austin, it just didn't make sense. And we tried it. It was one of those here. Here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll do this and got out there and said, nah, they don't give a shit. And it would be much better without her. That was that. (laughs) I mean, that was Austin. That was rock. I even dare say Deborah, but everybody else involved just feeling that that wasn't the way to go. The next week on raw, Austin would go into rock's dressing room and tell him if anything happened to Deborah, he's holding rock responsible and they have another stare down. And later in the show, rock beat angle by DQ to keep the title, uh, angles kicking out of the rock bottom. There's a ref bump rock does the elbow, but Hebner's selling the knee and couldn't get down. So angle kicks out eventually angle got the ankle lock, but rock made the ropes. 
And then when angle refuses to break, he's disqualified, but the rock is tapping of course. And then Deborah comes in to get him to break, which he does, but then he puts the ankle lock on Deborah, which means of course, Austin runs in, cleans house on angle and then gives the rock the stunner. So we're, we're headed that way. And a few days later on SmackDown rock would beat Rikishi and Haku with the rock bottom on Haku. Rikishi lays out rock with the bonsai and then goes to give Deborah the stink face when Austin saves Deborah and Austin leaves. Deborah stays behind with rock, uh, to end the show. And, uh, as I guess a little sidebar here, Austin actually accidentally, of course, broke Rikishi's eardrum doing this chat me up. What's the uh, pitch sound like, uh, giving the old stink face brother to Deborah. Oh, God damn. I mean, it's, it's somewhat clean. Somewhat. Well, uh, he does what he can. Not any, he, he, I don't think he's that dirty down there. Oh, we call God. it a stink face because it looks stinky. It's not absolutely stinky. Uh, the March 19th raw, we would see the rock hit Steven Regal with the belt and then give Austin the rock bottom. On March 22nd, this is the championship, pal. This is whatever belt belt holds up your pants. Boy, you've changed in three years. Uh, March 22nd on SmackDown. This is what most people remember. We see a 23 minute sit down interview with rock and Austin conducted by Jim Ross. who's sitting between both of them and he's thanking both guys for their professionalism. And this was uh, a little unique. I mean, that you guys would not have any physicality and you would have this long stretch here of you know, just a sit down interview. what do you think of this? I mean, this is clearly something that it worked because people are still talking about it. I hated it. Here's why I hated it because I felt that so much uh, hate is the wrong word. I disliked, I disliked it because I would have liked to have gone in with a little more physicality between the two and just a little more tension. And it, it took me, it took me out of the emotion of it, I guess, if nothing else, because you didn't get any action out of it. Yes, you did get some intensity from the two guys. Look at the two that you're playing with there with Austin and Rock. But if I had magic, you know, the magic pencil and could have written anything I wanted, I would have had that one last confrontation between the two physically. Right. Well, let's get to WrestleMania. I guess March 26th, we should mention. Uh, Austin and rock would beat undertaker and Kane when triple H hit undertaker with a chair and Austin pinned him at four thirty four. And after the match, they're doing the beer thing and rock gives Austin a stunner and put a beer can next to him to end the show. And, uh, the, the hype video that you guys did leading into this one was limp biscuit my way. And fans still talk about that promotional video for that match. As if it's one of the absolute best of all time. What do you remember about the hype surrounding WrestleMania 17, specifically with this main event? I know we've covered it in our archives, which are available at something wrestle.com, but, uh, this is another level of promotion you guys were doing for this main event. Because it was another level main event with two of the biggest stars in the industry and two of the biggest stars period of, of any genre of, of anything. This was Frazier Ali. I mean, that, that's what I like to compare it to because it was that big. And in the wrestling business, the promotion getting up to it 
we did everything under the sun, including buying the $660,000 steer with Mattress Mac to promote this thing, to get people talking, not just about WrestleMania, but this match. And that's, you know, nowadays it's all about WrestleMania and it's the event. It's the whole weekend. It's, it's everything else. This was about the match. This was about rock and Austin Houston. We've got a problem. Well, you know, that was the buildup going into this. These two are going to collide and they were the best in the business at the time. You couldn't pick it because no matter what you did, you're going to fantasy book. You're going to sit there and, and read, uh, rags that say, I know this is going to happen and oh, well, they changed it. There was, there was none of that. It was, it was truly the hype of what are they going to do? How do you, what's the outcome? You got to have one. And that's what made this match so unique and just beautiful in my mind. Well, of course the main event is what we're talking about. Rock is going to lose the WWF title to Steve Austin, 28 minutes, six seconds. Uh, it, it gets a, an okay review in the observer cause it gets four and a half stars. So it tells you that it was a really, really great match, but people still to this day talk about the ending because Vince McMahon comes in. And of course we know that Vince McMahon has been feuding with, with stone cold, Steve Austin for years at this point, but now we're going to try something totally different. The hottest star in the business, the biggest baby face, the brightest star. He's going to turn on the fans, but I don't think the fans live there really got it, but the announcer certainly conveyed it at home. Uh, you can see more about this match and hear more about it in the archives, of course, but looking back, you know, hindsight being 2020, even Steve Austin would say this was probably one of the biggest regrets of his professional career. What say you? I would agree with him. And I would also agree that if you had done that, I, I, I was about to say, if you had done that any place else other than Texas, right. you might have been able to get away with it. But Steve was so popular and Steve was so loved by the audience. That was his character to be anti-authority. That was his character to go against the grain. So all of a sudden he is going against the grain by joining forces with Mr. McMahon. So that was anti-authority, you know, that was anti what was socially acceptable, if you want to put it that way. Um, but I don't think that, I don't think that it was a good idea. And I don't think that it was again, hindsight is 2020. I wish we wouldn't have done it. Yeah. I think a lot of people look back at that and say, this was, you know, a pivotal moment in wrestling history. ECW's out of business, WCW's out of business and. There's only one game in town. And I understand the the theory of, you know, if you've got two white hot baby faces, maybe business would be bigger or better. If one of those guys was a bad guy, I get it, but, uh, just didn't really work. The next item raw, uh, of course the rock is going to come out and demand a title match. And he's going to put Vince McMahon on a sharpshooter and in so much pain, Vince would agree to a title match and make it a cage match. So later in the show, Austin and rock go to a non-finish in about nine minutes. And the fans are super hot for the rock chanting the chanting his name. Austin's going to uh, juice early from a belt shot. And the finish is going to see the rock use the rock bottom on Austin while, uh, Vince is beating up the referee, Tim white. And then Austin gives, uh, the rock a low blow. 
and they start to double team the rock and who's going to come out for the save, but triple H with a sledgehammer and triple H is going to stare down Austin and, uh, they're all destroying the rock because of course, triple H is going to hit the rock with the sledgehammer and a pedigree and a stunner. Uh, and a few days later on SmackDown rock suspends is suspended by Vince indefinitely. And they're doing this because the rock's got to go away to film Scorpion King. Uh, when did you know rock was going to take a break after WrestleMania to film the movie? And why did you think this was the right way to get us there with a little alliance with Hunter and Austin? Well, we didn't think, uh, that that was a good idea at all. As a matter of fact, that this was where we were supposed to do the double turn with triple H and make triple H the baby face to oppose Austin and talent really wanted to do this, this power trip, the heel power trip for quite a while. And that's what we ended up doing. Um, I don't agree with that. I didn't agree with it. Then I don't agree with it. Now I feel that it would have been much bigger for everyone involved had triple H turned baby face because they wanted it so bad. They wanted him so bad. The audience did and rock going away. Now he didn't have anyone to compete with as far as on the baby face side and the baby face side was decimated now. Right. We had no, we had nobody, <laughs> nobody to challenge, you know, this, this mega power trip going on and then triple H gets hurt and you're back to just Steve. And we had no one built. We had no one ready to step in and in our mind, when rock went away, the only guy that was ready to step into that point was triple H and we just didn't get there. And that's one of those stories that if we were able to tell it over again today, would probably do so in a lot of different ways, but I didn't like it. Um, but we did it. Well, and, and, and it got over, you know, the, uh, the rock and his movie career. So, you know, the, the ends justify or the means justify the end, I guess. I mean, you know, obviously we know something bad is about to happen to, to Hunter and we'll probably cover that on another show, but still it's just fascinating to sort of get in your way back machine and fantasy book. What if, you know, what if a few things were different and how about this on the April 25th UPW show? There's a, that's UPW out in California. There's a wrestler out there named prototype who is working his final show with this group before leaving for Ohio Valley. And they're doing an angle where several heels led by Samoa Joe attack him and do the broken arm deal with a chair. And they're pounding on him until Tommy dreamer makes the save. That wasn't the original plan for Tommy dreamer to make the save though. It was supposed to be the rock showing up as a surprise and going to save this wrestler named prototype. Because he was already in LA doing acting classes, but it didn't work out for whatever reason. Uh, rock couldn't make it that day, but there was a lot of, uh, hype around it because they thought they could get a lot of local publicity for the rock showing up to save this young upstart named prototype. Uh, who did prototype go on to be Bruce? Uh, that, you know, he, he went on, he had a decent career people. I don't know. They might remember the name of John Cena. It's, uh. First time I met him at the Roxy theater and wherever the hell we were, Hollywood, California. And he came down. That's exactly how he introduced himself. Hello. I am prototype, but yeah, we signed him right about that time. And 
I think he turned. I think he turned out all right. I don't think he'll have the, quite the acting career. Oh wait a minute, maybe he will. Uh, <laughs> but interesting parallels in those careers, man. It's it's looking at Rock and who who would have thunk coming off of the Mummy and a basically a cameo bit part, right? Playing the Scorpion King, that it was so strong, they felt, man, we can make a movie out of this. We've got another character, another offshoot that we can go and make another movie out of this. And Rock having his first ever, you know, feature, full length, major motion picture. That was, I don't think anybody was calling that one, especially when he was going, oh, yeah, we need him for a little bit part in the mummy. Be kind of cool. Yeah. Nobody could have ever predicted that. And nobody could have called. That by the end of May, Rock would get the cover story on the Rolling Stone magazine. I think he's the first wrestler to ever get that. Uh, do you have a song about that? About being on the cover of the Rolling Stone, I'm gonna buy five copies for my mother. Oh, so you take all kinds of pills, give us all kinds of thrills, but the thrill we'll never know is the thrill that'll get you when you get your picture on the cover of the Rolling Stone or WWE magazine. Oh my God. What? Uh, I did that in 1989 or eight or something like that. I was on the cover. Fuck man. I was doing that shit long before him. Of the Rolling Stone. What? You're on the cover of Rolling Stone. I've had the cover of Rolling Stone. Uh, <laughs> uh, on Access Hollywood at the end of June, the air clip of The Rock saying that he's going to juggle movies and wrestling as long as he could. So this is what he's saying outwardly. But, you know, in, in the WWE camp, what were you and Vince thinking? Like, how long did you really have The Rock? How long did he think he could really juggle both? Well, yeah, we, we thought we had maybe another five years of it. At least, right. You, you look at it and you're saying, okay, how big can he really get? It, Hulk went through the same thing. Hulk went through the, the surge of, he does no holds barred critically acclaimed man. The, uh, you know, shit, everybody wanted Hulk after no holds barred. And he went on and did a few movies and, and we thought, oh my God, we'll lose him too. But he still stuck around. So we thought the same thing would kind of happen with rock. So legit our foresight. <laughs> I love you for that. I mean, is there was are you just fucking around or is that really the answer of well, we didn't lose uh, Hogan after no holds barred? Why would we lose Rock? Well, yeah, it's to Hollywood, yes. Wow. It really was. But after Scorpion King, then it was like rut row. <laughs> Oh, that's he's, they like him a lot. He's going to be big star. Fuck. He comes Good back to raw on the uh, July 30th edition from Philadelphia. And he shows up looking up at the Rocky statue, uh, which is, uh, at the, the building next door and the invasion angle, of course, is ongoing at the time. Shane's representing WCW. Stephanie's representing ECW. And of course, Vince is representing the WWF and. Shane is reminding the rock of all the times Vince screwed him and Vince is talking about how he's made both good and bad business decisions. And he said he made a mistake in his decision to bring back Austin because Austin was a rattlesnake, but he'd never screw rock again. And he thought it was the right thing for business. And, uh, of course, rock gives Vince the rock bottom. Shane's happy. So he gives him the rock bottom and the people's elbow 
and he announces that finally the rock has come back to the WWF and then storm and Canyon would attack the rock rock lays them both out with rock bottoms. And he's putting on over all the local, uh, sports teams. And he gives another rock bottom to uh, Shane McMahon. And then he calls Vince into the ring and Vince gives Shane a lame people's elbow and rock into the show, giving Shane a second one. So it's clear that the rock is sticking around in the WWF on this side of the invasion. A few days later on SmackDown, Booker's going to come out and rock is going to act like he doesn't know who he was. Uh, that's Whoopi Goldberg. Wow. That's when he had his Whoopi Goldberg starter, starter braids in or what, what those cornrow things in. And he ha- here's, here's a, here's a fun fact. He hasn't cut his hair yet. Booker T he put that shit in his hair. Okay. He started here and he has not cut his hair since. Since 2001. Yeah. Wow. righty. I keep telling him every time I see him, I said, you know, I got a hair match for you. <laughs> just telling you, I'm just telling you, I mean, we could do it for real street fighter versus karate, man. It only take him about like two and a half seconds. Whoop my ass, but still. We could do it. Let's talk about the rock gets their head shaved, the rock in the invasion angle. what do you think? I mean, you know, we're starting off with like a rock Booker T feud. Of course, you know, originally it was Austin Booker T, but we've got rock and Booker T here. What'd you think? Yeah, it was a way to elevate Booker as a way to elevate some of the guys from WCW and get them involved in with our guys, if you will, uh, it was still new, but Booker and, and rock, they actually had pretty damn good chemistry and they were able to go out and have good matches. I just didn't think that the issue was that hotter than anybody really cared at that point. Before we get there, we've got rock working in a street fight with Shane McMahon. Uh, Booker is going to, uh, of course help Shane out and then uh, put rock on a table. So Shane can do an elbow off the top rope through the uh, announcer's table on the rock. Did rock and, uh, Shane have good chemistry. Why did, why did that one make sense? Well, uh, it just made sense because of the angle. And I think that rock enjoyed working with Shane and vice versa. Cause it's just so easy. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like working with Hogan as far as working with rock. I don't know. He ever hurt anybody. He was so easy and everything that he did got a reaction from the audience. So shit, if you're going to, if you're going to have your choice, you look at the roster up and down that roster, who can I go out and make money with? Who can I go out, have great matches with every night and have fun. It's going to be the rock. Um, Shane, they were involved in the storyline, made a little sense there. So match them up together to try and get to where we had money and where we could get money out of it through house shows, live events, and things like that is of course, rock and Booker T that's our match for SummerSlam 2001. They go 15 minutes and 19 seconds. It gets three stars. Um, how was the, the chemistry between rock and Booker T at first they were trying to find themselves, but I think that they got there. I think that they got there and they had a damn good match. Could it have been better? Yeah, probably it could because they were, you know, bookers moving one speed and rocks moving another. And, you know, it's, 
it's like they were hitting the gas at the wrong times in the match sometimes. But, but as far as personality wise and being able to go out and tell a hell of a story, um, I thought that the match served its purpose and that they, they did really well. They got a lot better as it went on. Well, it's a rock bottom for a clean finish and rock is your now WCW world champion because he beats Booker T and we should mention that on August 14th, rock is celebrating something else. Uh, he and his wife, Danny, uh, wife at the time, Danny, uh, have, uh, their first child, a seven pound, 10 ounce girl named Simone Alexandria Johnson. And the rumor and innuendo is these days, Simone likes the idea of becoming a professional wrestler. It kind of runs in the family a little bit, multi-generational. Uh, <laughs> I remember Michael Hayes. Hey, how you gonna name her Pebble? You know, cause you're the rock. She'd be like Pebble, you know, like, like Pebble, Pebble Flintstone. We gonna name her Pebble. I like Pebbles. Can we name her Pebbles. I really hope I, that's a real story. What did, what was the question? I really hope that's a real story. That is 1000% a real story. My God. Dave, Dave, Dave. Yes, hey, exactly. I, hey, hey, how's Pebbles? I'm sorry. Look, I'm, I'm naming her Pebbles. She's always going to be Pebbles to me. Just telling you right now. Because you're the rock. She's like Pebble. Get it? September 3rd, Rock would beat Christian in about five and a half minutes to retain the WCW title. September 8th in Dallas, Rock is going to wrestle Austin, which I think is the first time the WWF champion wrestled the WCW champion since like Hogan Flair, when Hogan was able to wrestle Flair, when Flair still had the the real big gold belt back in 91. Uh, So that's kind of cool. WCW, uh, of course, is... uh, not a thing anymore, but we're still wrestling for the WCW world title. What do you think about that creative decision to still have a WCW belt and defend it, even though there is no WCW? Well, I don't know that we, were we still calling it WCW or have we just gone to world champion at that point? I think it, because at some point we just dropped the WCW and went to, that's when you bring it back though. Just so you know, that's when. Are we still calling it WCW yeah, here? You're still calling it WCW oh, here. When, when Eric Bischoff brings the big gold belt out of a briefcase and just hands it to Triple H on Raw, then it's the World Heavyweight Championship. But at this point, it's still the WCW title, which I think is a little like, nah, that's kind of lame. Who wrote that shit? I, I assume you. Okay. Uh, here's a fun one. On September 10th, Rock would beat Test and Stephanie in a handicap match. And this is based on Stephanie saying she wanted a handicap match, but would let Rock pick Test's partner, and he picked her. That's kind of fun. The next day, of course, September 11th happens. Um, we've, we've covered that uh, situation and that, that day and that moment in history in the archives. If you'd like to check that out, somethingtowrestle.com. The Unforgiven pay-per-view is up next, and we've got Rock retaining his WCW title in a handicap match over Booker T and Shane McMahon. They go 15 and a half minutes. Meltzer would say it was a good match, but really nothing special. He got three and a quarter stars. And the next day on Raw, Rock would defend his world title against RVD and get a win in about eight and a half minutes. The finish would see RVD on the top rope, and then when Stephanie shoves Charles Robinson, who hits the ropes, RVD loses his balance, falls in the ring, and Rock's going to land the rock bottom. RVD has got a lot of upward mobility here coming off that invasion pay-per-view. I think he turned a lot of heads, and 
being programmed the previous night with Chris Jericho and, you know, he had a match with Steve Austin and now he's working with the rock. It feels like, Hey, there's a chance you guys are going to do something big here with RVD. How did he enjoy working with the rock or, or what did the rock think of RVD? Well, <laughs> look, if you, if you work with RVD, you better be ready to take a few spuds and, you know, rock don't, doesn't care about that, but he just doesn't want to take too many. And he sure, sure as hell doesn't want to take any in the face. Um, so there was a little understanding there, but Rob was man, Rob was Rob and rock was rock who, and again, at that time in the business, if you have the opportunity to be in the ring with a stone cold, Steve Austin or a rock or somebody like that, you're going to jump at that opportunity because it elevates you, whether win, lose, draw, get set on fire. It doesn't matter. Herm. Um, it was good. You know, I thought it was great for Rob and really helped elevate Rob. October 1st, we see rock beat the Dudleys to keep the WCW title in eight minutes. Shane is going to uh, interfere and put rock through a table after uh, rocket given referee, Nick Patrick, a rock bottom. And then Charles Robinson runs in. And since rock was through a table, he teases awarding the belt to one of the Dudleys. And then Mike Kyoto gets involved and decks Charles Robinson. And the rock comes back, putting Bubba through a table with the rock bottom. Boy, that would have been so great. If you guys would have crowned Devon Dudley, the WCW world champion. <laughs> the October 8th raw, we see RVD and Shane beat Jericho and rock and tell you what, you know how to get me to stop talking. I do the October 14th show. We're back at Madison square garden and we've got rock and Austin wrestling each other. In a world title unification match. And of course, heading into this, Austin is still the WWF champion. Rock is the WCW world champion. And the finish would see Rock putting Austin in the sharpshooter, but the Dudleys interfere for a DQ. Uh, so that's a little disappointing. I would have liked to have seen a uh, unification there, but we're going to get what we're looking for eventually. Um, let's get to the No Mercy pay per view. Chris Jericho. Beats the rock for the world title in 23 minutes and 44 seconds, four and a half stars. It is a coming out party for Chris Jericho here. Big night. What was it like? Uh, the chemistry with rock and Jericho. And what do you remember about this match at no mercy? Well, see, uh, to me, I think that the biggest thing about this was Jericho was just hot as a firecracker as well. And he was young and no one expected it. No one expected that Chris Jericho was going to come in and defeat, especially the rock. So the anticipation for that match and the want, you know, really for that to happen for Chris Jericho to step up and for Jericho to be the one to beat the rock. I, I just, the beauty of it to me was that nobody was calling it at the time. People thought there's no way they're going to go with Jericho here. And when the audience can't call them, when you keep them guessing to me, that's, that's the beauty of the business. And that's what made it so special. Of course, on November 5th, rock would win that WCW title back from Jericho in 15 minutes and seven seconds. Uh, on November 12th, rock would call Austin out and they're doing a long monologue where they're cutting each other off in the middle of their catchphrases. And they're talking about how at WrestleMania and the day after, you know, the, the, the stage was set and Austin is about to, I guess we should mention that this is the era where Austin has 
trying to change his character a little bit. So he's doing some like parody stuff. He's playing guitar. He's wearing little cowboy hats. He's singing songs. And these guys wind up singing Margaritaville together. And when they're almost done, rock gets a rock bottom on Austin. I, I realized that what I just said sounds very fucking silly, but goddamn, it was entertaining. Wasn't it? Well, and, and here's how that came to be. All right. Um, we'll talk current here for about a half a second. Um, if you saw the, the Monday night raw reunion and you heard stone cold's promo that he cut, well, every night in live events, Steve would go out and at the end of the night, whatever it was, and Steve would cut these long winded promos, entertaining the crowd. He'd drink beer. He would, I mean, he would play with the crowd so much as did rock. Then rock started coming back down and getting involved in it. And then they would do these little things, try to trip the other one up on songs. So, Hey, you know, this one and, you know, start seeing a few bars and see if the other one could finish it. And the most entertaining, you know, part was met a real cutie, Mexican beauty, you know, where I got, you know, was, Wasted away again on Margaritaville, all that shit that they did. And, and then rock would go, come on, come on, come on. Stepped on a pop top, blew out my flip flop. And, and they would start laughing because each guy would sing the next part. And it was so entertaining in the live events that, uh, I remember Steven rock going in and saying, man, just let us do it on TV. If you don't like it. Don't air it, but let us try it. And it was, it was very good, maybe even great, but it still wasn't as good as the, just the impromptu, not having the cameras on you, being able to laugh and and have fun as the live events, but that's how it all began. And it all began with, you know, I'm going to sing a line. You sing the next one. See, see who could get it. Well, we're going to find out who gets it at survivor series. This is winner take all for the Alliance and the WWF. Of course, team WWF would beat team Alliance in 44 minutes and 56 seconds, a really long main event. And, uh, it's of course an elimination where, uh, if you lose, you got to fold up shop. So the Alliance goes away four and a half stars. Um, this Alliance thing a victim of bad timing and whatever else we want to say, but it's probably it sucked. It's, yeah. The shit's over and it's gotta be, you gotta be relieved that it's just done. Right. Yeah. It sucked very much relieved and just, it was time to move on and come up with something new, go away and learn a new hold. The next night on raw they're in Charlotte and the rock would pick Kurt angle in six minutes and eight seconds when he reversed the ankle lock into a cradle. It's also the night Ric Flair would return to the WWF. On the December 6th episode of SmackDown, Rock and Vince were in the ring and backstage on the video wall, we see Austin beating up on Angle, who was set to jump the Rock. And then Flair announces if anyone saves Vince, they would be suspended. And Rock pulls down his pants and orders Vince to get on his knees. And Rock tells Vince he wasn't good enough to kiss his ass and tells Jim Ross to come out. But Rock tells Vince he wasn't going to kiss Ross's ass and calls out Trish Stratus. And Vince liked the idea of having to kiss her ass. So rock called him a sick freak and he brings out Rikishi 
And then rock gave Vince a rock bottom and stuck his face in Rikishi's wiggling ass. And rock said that the ass kissing club is officially over. Goddamn pal. It's mostly clean. Uh, let me tell you something, pal. It wasn't that clean that night. God damn it. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Let's pretend for a minute. Rikishi's in the back, chilling and catering, wearing out some quesadillas. And some guy holding the script comes over and says, hey, so in the last segment of the show today, we're going to stick Vince McMahon's head up your ass. Is that pretty much how that goes down? Exactly. <laughs> that man, that's, that's it. And then we had to get out the, you know, the handy wipes and Lysol disinfectant spray, and you know, come on, bend over. Let's clean it up. Please tell me there was a there was a guy on Rikishi ass duty, and he had to go make sure we were good to go. Yeah. Oh. Boy. I respect that shit, man. Get in the crevices. Get on in there. <laughs> See what's hiding, man. You never know. This is the this is the boss's face. We're going in here. Get that shit clean. Who would have been on Ask? Jr. Jr. You missed the spot. Oh. So you're saying her was on Ask Clean duty? Surely not. He's got to make sure it's clean. It's part of uh, talent relations, man. Oh Jesus. Let's get to the uh, Vengeance pay per view. Chris Jericho is going to win that one. Of course, he's going to beat rock for the WCW world title, 19 minutes and five seconds, four star match. If there was any doubt that they were going with Chris Jericho, all that doubt was removed coming out of vengeance. Was it not? Oh, I look, yeah, I think so. I think Jericho made his own name and, and made, made his spot. And that's what you have to do. You either have to go out and take it and make it, uh, when that opportunity is there, or you're going to just go by the wayside and Jericho had that opportunity and made most of it. The next night rocks doing something kind of fun. The Dudleys are going to be taking on rock and his partner, Trish Stratus. Of course, the Dudleys get the win, but it's kind of fun on the way to see rock and Stratus do the wise app on Devon and on Stacey Keebler. Um, what do you think of this pairing of the rock and Trish? <laughs> Well, you know, if you're going to do a wasab on the damn, uh, Dudleys, who better to do it than rock and Trish? Just saying those two really had natural chemistry, didn't they? Yeah, they did. A few days later on SmackDown, Rob Van Dam and the rock would beat Jericho and the undertaker after Van Dam pinned Jericho with the Van Daminator. And now we're set for the Royal rumble rock is going to challenge Chris Jericho for the now undisputed world title. And I think, you know, at this point, it's fair to say that, uh, nobody is as over as the rock is perhaps in history. I mean, at this point, you know, when, in the Royal rumble, Oh, two dude, this is the loudest, most sustained pop. They're hanging on every word he does. And I know you would probably argue, oh man, Hogan in 87 or Hogan in 88, but good Lord. The rock here is just another level with this crowd four and a quarter stars. Another really, really good match. Of course, Chris Jericho retains, uh, he is cemented. He is a top guy, but the, the pop and just the way he holds the crowd in his hand, the rock is on another level here in early Oh two. He really was his star power. His star power just superseded that of WWE. And he was able 
to go outside of the vehicle and bring more eyeballs into the WWE. And he was, he just was that special. And they truly believed and loved him. We should mention the, the next night on raw, we've got the returning triple H who came back at the Royal rumble the night before. So naturally we're going to put him up against the hottest star we've got now the rock and, uh, they're going to beat angle and Jericho in seven minutes and 37 seconds. On the February 4th Raw, we would see Undertaker and Jericho get a win over Rock and Austin. And before the match starts, a fan comes out of the audience and throws a forearm at Jericho. Uh, Jericho, of course, clocks him and is putting the boots to him until Austin gets Jericho away while security can throw the guy back over the barricade. What do you remember about this jackleg jumping in the ring here to attack Chris Jericho? I mean, at first... Since he, he's dressed like Jericho, you guys probably had to, th- some of the boys probably thought, is this a plan or is this a storyline? And very quickly they realized, oh no, he's really beating the shit out of him. Yeah, no, he's an idiot. And anybody that ever steps foot in the ring, you know, to try to get to one of the boys is an idiot. In my opinion, I just think that's stupid uncalled for stupid. Every, every derogatory t- term that I can think of. Uh, anybody jumps in the ring. That's what you are. No way out goes down on February 17th. The rock gets a win over undertaker in 17 minutes and 25 seconds, uh, two and a quarter stars for whatever reason. It just isn't the best match that the rock ever had. Um, eventually we see Ric Flair come out and, uh, I think there's a pipe involved. There's a lot of shenanigans here sort of is what it is, but what people remember with this show, most of all is the NWO is going to come out to confront the rock and he's going to verbally lay the smack down on all of them. He's making fun of Scott Hall as razor Ramon and Kevin Nash as diesel and making fun of Hulk Hogan's old say your prayers and take your vitamin spiel. And this segment has really gotten seemingly more popular as time's gone on because it's become a very popular little clip that they use on video packages. Like with our friend, Matthew at Botchamania chat me up. When did you know that the rock sort of running down the members of the NWO was gold? Well, I did that and I, I did that one. I, actually, I did all of the NWO stuff that night, but that was one because it was with rocks. Rock got a lot of leeway. Um, I think we did it live, live, which was unusual at that time because we were able to get a lot of things pre-taped uh, and get them in the can before the show ever even went on the air. And this one particular one, we kept going and, and, uh, it went live, live, but it was for the crew, for everybody involved, man, it was just so hard to keep a straight face. And for those that, that weren't really happy that, uh, the NWO was there, they loved it, kind of brought them back down to earth. And, but I thought it was a very cleverly written promo and, uh, expertly delivered by the rock, but you're right. You know, the, Oh yeah, you big daddy. Cool. I mean, that shit and raise the Ramon Chico and all that shit. That was great shit. Oh, it's just great shit. It plants the seeds for the next night, which is well, not great shit. 
the, the show's going to start or the segment's going to start with Hogan coming out, playing the humble baby face, talking to the fans about, oh, we've been through so much together. And I never wanted to leave the WWF. And then of course, eventually, you know, this is going to turn sideways and the rock is going to be here. And what do you know? The NWO Hall and Nash are going to hit the ring and beat down the rock. And this is after they have that little moment where they do the big stare and the crowd goes nuts. Before we talk about the beat down, when they're just on raw and you see Austin, not Austin, but rock and Hogan in the ring for the first time. And you can just hear the crowd going bananas. They haven't done anything yet. You know, you've got fucking money, right? Without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, good God. The, the most popular guy in the business at the time and formerly the, probably the single most recognizable wrestler, uh, ever in the ring at the same time. Yes. So, I mean, the, when they go nose to nose, the crowd is chanting huge for Hogan. And then of course the rock fans just match it. And you know, rock is trying to mock Hulk Hogan and cupping his ear and going to all the corners. And then eventually Hogan agrees. They shake hands. Rock lays him out with a rock bottom. So of course, Hall and Nash are coming down, but they take things to another level. Not only do they, you know, hit him with the razor's edge and the power bomb, uh, but then they hit him in the back of the head with a fucking hammer from a toolbox that was under the ring. And then Hogan leg drops him, spray paints NWO too sweet on his back. And then there's like a 30 minute plus long angle where they're going to try to take him out in an ambulance, but the NWO is not done yet. They're going to beat it up with a tire iron and bully the medical personnel to run out and leave the ambulance alone. So then they have Hogan drive into the ambulance back up and hit it two more times, destroying the vehicle. And, uh, there's lots of inconsistencies and continuity that people have poked at this. And you know, it does feel like the start of an era where you guys started to do more of these sort of stunts and it's shot more Hollywood style. I mean, the, the angle in the ring was probably enough. Was this overkill and maybe a, a misfire to do all the shenanigans out back? Well, I mean, if you're looking at it from a audience point of view, are you not going to want to see the guy come back from getting crushed in a semi in an ambulance versus, <laughs> oh uh, versus revenge for a goddamn rock bottom. Come on, come on. Let's crush him in an ambulance, please. Come on, bro. Semi. And, and the funny part about it was to say, I would have had diesel drive the diesel semi. Why didn't you? Why didn't you? Wasn't my call. Seriously, I, you, just, thought you was, I just thought it was funny after Rock did the. This is my favorite part of that whole promo. That's the best part. Are you really not going to shit on this? This was awful. No, it was not. About, no bullshit. It was not awful. It was awful. No, it wasn't. It was good. It was unnecessary, and probably all of this shit should have been spread out over three weeks. But no, I I actually like the stunt and all the shit. Yeah, boy, the, the people. Given what happened on TV this week, people really want me to have a follow up question. But we're not talking about current stuff, so we'll keep it moving. Um, Hogan Rock WrestleMania 18. It was always the plan. I know we've talked about this a few times, but there was never consideration to sliding Austin in there. Instead, it was always, I mean, you know, when you see them in the ring together and the crowd just responds the way they do, okay, we made the right choice. But before that, I mean, did Hogan say, Hey, give me Austin or did he want the rock? 
I think they, I think Hogan wanted Roston and Ock, Austin and Rock, uh, but the the logical is what we did and build to Austin and Hogan, and that that could have been a year long build, in my opinion. Right. Well, so well. at that point, you you go with, I think that as far as appeal and, and crossover appeal to the outside world and everything rock doing Scorpion King and all the other shit, you know, that he had been doing the fringe audience, new rock, everybody knew Hogan, obviously. And good God, if you had a year to build to Austin and Hogan, that, that would have been great. And we felt that we could rush. We could hot shot and get immediately in, in one month to Hogan and rock. Um, just more than anything really thought that the Austin Hogan story deserved more time and more of a build. And of course, as a result of everything that happened, we'd never see it, which is a shame, but we weren't going to be seeing much rock after this. And, you know, while I, just thought this sort of sucked the whole ambulance thing, you know, it's written in the observer that the rocket had gone to you guys and said, Hey man, I'm fucking burnt out and I need a break. I need some time off. I got, you know, a new family at home. And you guys came up with this ambulance thing as a way to sort of ride him off TV. Is that the way you remember it? That you needed a way to get him off TV and he can't be on TV if he's dead pal or whatever. Well, he wasn't actually dead, but he's near death and can't be on TV if you're near death. So a few no. weeks later, uh, Meltzer is going to talk about WrestleMania and he says Hulk Hogan and the rock has taken over a gym in Davie, Florida, where Pat Patterson has joined the guys on March 9th to start choreographing the match. And it's going to be a cohesive, uh, storyline of course, but now the match is probably going to be a lot better because they're spending so much time working on it ahead of time. And somewhere along the way, I guess about eight days prior to that in a match against Rikishi, uh, Hogan suffers a broken rib and he's not told anybody in management about it, but it comes out here when he's going through the match with Pat Patterson. And so now obviously there's some concern. How good can this match really be? But I do think it's interesting that, you know, we get the guys together to sort of go through the match ahead of time. That's something that we heard that Patterson did for Hogan and, and warrior back at WrestleMania six. And, uh, everybody's really invested in making this match as good as possible as well. How common or unique was this? I was very common, especially for, you know, a huge match for guys that have never been in the ring with one another to be able to get ahead of it and get in the ring and, and feel each other out because the first time that you lock up, you don't want to do that on a grand stage. You want to be able to do it and, and kind of have the nuances of who it is that you're working with. So it wasn't that unusual at all. I mean, that guys did that all the time, whether it be in a warehouse somewhere or earlier in the day, uh, throughout a live event tour where guys would get in the ring who had never worked before knowing they have a match coming up and, and jump in and, you know, feel each other out, man, learn, learn how people move. It's all about dancing and, and knowing your partner. The March 11th raw, we would see Hogan Hall and Nash beat rock and Austin in nine minutes and 13 seconds. Of course, Hogan hits the big boot and the leg drop 
with a one, two, three in the middle. So, uh, you pretty much know if you're uh, a jaded wrestling fan, you've convinced yourself. Oh, well, if, if Hogan's getting a win clean in the middle, that, that means the rock is winning at WrestleMania 18. And of course at WrestleMania 18, the rock did win. Uh, one of the best matches of all time, no matter what anybody tells you, Meltzer only gave it three stars. Um, but when you go back and you watch this with the sound on versus the sound off, I don't think there has ever been a match where sound was as important because the crowd for this is the hottest I've ever seen anybody for any match ever. Uh, I mean, you could, you could maybe argue the whole CM Punk, John Cena money in the bank from 2011, but this is goosebump city here, man. And so many great wrestlers today point to this match as being their favorite match of all time. And that has very little to do with, as you said, hurricane plancha margaritas off the top rope and, and everything to do with the way they interacted with the crowd and had the crowd in the palm of their hand before they even touched. If you're going to watch one match this week and you haven't seen this one ever, I don't know why, or you haven't seen it in a long time, go out of your way to watch Hulk Hogan and the rock at WrestleMania 18, 16 minutes, 23 seconds. One of the all time greats chat me up. Well, I do think it was one of the, when you look at WrestleMania matches and WrestleMania moments that people always go back to and point to and talk about, here's things where the business changed and things like that. To me, this was one of those beautiful passing of the torches because the audience, God, they wanted, they wanted their Hulk back. They wanted red and yellow Hulkamania. What you going to do, brother? That WWE audience didn't want that NWO bullshit. They didn't want fucking Hogan to be a bad guy. They wanted, they wanted their Hulk Hogan back. So it was, and that was from day one with the NWO too, by the way, it just, they didn't, the, the WWE audience always, they, they wanted Hulk. Even when they were sick of him, they wanted him. And in this match, the, the audience, man, it was just such a beautiful thing. I watched the uh, entire match. I was on the floor for it and right in the middle of the people. And I remember just looking around and I was with Brian Gwertz and, and looking at everybody and go, I don't think these damn Canadians know who the baby face of the heel is. And they just, I mean, they came man. they, they, they brought it and it made that match just so special that, uh, and rock, thank God, you know, knew how to react to it and just went with it. And Hogan was there to kind of slow everything down and take it easy. Let's feel this. Let's milk it a little more. And that's, you know, those are the traits of two great, great workers. And, and that's the difference between whatever, whenever I tell young guys, man, I said, don't go out and think about what you're going to do, go out and feel it and then do it. And that was two guys feeling the audience had them in the palm of their hands the entire time and went with it. How big of a thrill was this for the rock? I mean, as a kid, he was a Hogan fan. He's even talked about catching his headband when he was in the crowd once at MSG. And when he's in the back with his dad, after Hogan asked for the headband back, because he said, that's my last one brother. Uh, so he was such a, a Hulk Hogan fan as a kid. And now 
he's in, you know, the biggest match on the show, even though it's not the main event, it really was the main event and the crowd just couldn't eat it up enough. This had to be like a, a career highlight up to this point for the rock. Would you agree? Uh, wholeheartedly. And I think that when, you know, he got in there, I think, I think that rock was actually a little starstruck being in the ring with Hogan and sure. being able to, to have this match. And as he says, you're, you're in there with a guy that you idolized and that you, at his age, his being rock watching Hulk when he was much younger and going, man, that's what I want to do someday. That's, that's the guy I want to be. So to actually be in the ring and be able to do it, that that's a dream come true. Uh, Rocks to this day still talks about the goosebumps from that night and from the reaction of the audience and, and how they came for that whole thing. So it was, it was a beautiful display of psychology and the right things to do at the right time. And they just mastered it. Uh, again, you had two, two masters in there doing what they do best. The uh, next night on raw Hogan and rock would be hall and Nash. Uh, and these guys are teaming up, which is kind of fun. And on the March 25th raw, we see the first WWF draft and rock is drafted number one overall by Vince, uh, for SmackDown. And not too long after WrestleMania is when Austin walks out for the first time uh, on the April 4th SmackDown rock would pin Jericho, both angle and edge come out to interfere and they fight to the back. Jericho misses the lion salt and is pinned clean with the rock bottom, but that's not the news. The news is the rocks, a big movie star. In April of 02, Meltzer would write, with his first starring role, The Scorpion King, about to open, Dwayne Johnson's Hollywood career may just be starting to take off. Pushed by many to be heir to the action hero throne, held by people like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Bruce Willis, Johnson has the right size, the right look, and more importantly, the right charisma. He's a proven draw at the arenas and on ratings to wrestling fans, and Mummy Returns, where he actually had a small role but was practically promoted as a co-star did incredible business while rumors backed up by the insensitive reshooting or sorry, intensive reshooting indicate the movie may not be a great film with the incredible hype. It will almost certainly do excellent at the box office. What does that mean for wrestling? While Johnson will never knock wrestling and is careful about talking about balancing the two. He's also admitted he never wants to go through the pace he did over the last year. He said in interviews, he never wants to drop his affiliation with the WWF, but he also told WrestlingObserver.com a few weeks ago that he could see himself only wrestling a few major shows per year. As it stands right now with promotion of the movie, rock isn't expected back on WWF TV until June, which means he would miss the next two pay-per-view events. All of a sudden you're, you're sort of worst nightmare here, Bruce of, uh, oh, it's coming true. Because, uh, the premiere goes down on April 4th in century city, California, it plays well to the live crowd and it solidifies the rock as a leading man in Hollywood. And he starts doing interviews everywhere, even hosts Saturday night live over the weekend and the sort of schedule you have to put yourself through to promote a big movie like this is killer. And every time he does this, he's, he's putting over wrestling very strongly and He's admitting now in these interviews, he probably won't be wrestling as often 
in the future. When do you guys know? Uh Oh, uh, we need to revisit his contract and see what we can lock down or has the ship already sailed on that? No, look, I mean, his contract was what it was, but he was also the rock and, and he did give us every indication that this is what he wanted to do and that he was doing exactly what he said he was going to do. He wasn't going to leave us. He wanted to do both, but he wanted to do more in Hollywood. And he also had surrounded himself with a lot of folks, uh, in Hollywood that were pushing him heavily to God, get out of the wrestling business. Why do you, why do you want to still be in the wrestling business? So for him, it was, he was getting pulled uh, from all these different directions and people not wanting to, you know, oh my God, you know, you're, you're never going to go anywhere with the name, the rock. Okay. You know, Dwayne Johnson, God, that sounds strong. And all these people telling him that he needed to distance himself from WWE and from wrestling so that he wouldn't be labeled a wrestler. And he started to do that. But once, you know, rock realized and rock surrounded himself with a lot of the folks that he, that he has now that wait a minute, you know, for that, for that market, for that audience that loved me as, as a wrestler. And for those that love, love him doing what he does in the movies, it's a lot of crossover, but if you piss off one, you're going to hurt the other. So he, he eventually made his way back, but during this time, it was, he's, he's going to make movies because Scorpion King was a hit. It, it did do very well at the box office and, you know, everything is just laid out going through the movies, Hollywood, Hollywood saw the next Arnold Hollywood saw the next big action hero in Dwayne Johnson. And they just thought this son of a bitch is gold and we need to get him on the big screen. MSNBC would report that when this movie comes out with a strong opening weekend, the rock already has an offer in the $10 million range for his next film, hell Dorado. Of course, I think that goes on to be known as the rundown, but still uh, it's an incredible offer and lots of these deals. When you hear, oh, he could earn 10, he's going to earn 10 million. They're doing a little forecasting with what the, you know, projections might be at the box office. So for example, when he did the Scorpion King, it was reported the rock was going to earn more than 5 million almost everywhere, but his actual downside as a wrestling term that we would understand wasn't anywhere close to that. But if the movie does a hundred million dollars, then, then he would make more than 5 million. So it's always tied to sort of the back end. but the concept is it's a lot more money than people expected and more than, than he's going to make in wrestling. By comparison, No Holds Barred, which we uh, talked about earlier, the movie that was supposed to make Hulk Hogan a star back in 89. And $18 billion. It did $16 million in total revenue. Oh, I thought that was... Are you sure it wasn't a B? Yeah. Okay. Um, the total for all of Hogan's four follow-up movies, like all combined, was $11.6 million. And Rock feels like, and he mentions this, uh, there's been some locker room jealousy and this is in the observer. And in particular mentioned one of the top wrestlers who he thought was going behind his back. 
A couple of sources have confirmed he met triple H. He didn't mention the name, but in a rolling stone interview, he said it's difficult to be good friends with a lot of the wrestlers because of the nature of business, but mentioned Jericho as and Austin as two guys he considers to be very close friends. Uh, so it's interesting that he's out here doing interviews like this and sort of saying there's locker room jealousy and throwing a little shade triple H's way, because that's been a professional rivalry that dates back for years at this point. But he would also sort of credit his appearance on Saturday Night Live two years prior to this as being the turning point when a lot of people outside of wrestling took notice of him. When that sort of thing happens and these opportunities present themselves and you see, you know, a Saturday Night Live come and say, hey, why don't you send us so-and-so? These days, do you think there's any hesitation because, well, goddamn, we don't want him to get so big that he leaves again. I know that sounds silly, but like WrestleMania sells out before, not all the time, but most of the time before you even know any of the matches, because people are coming to see WrestleMania. It's not promoted the same way that, you know, boxing is where it's, it's Mayweather Pacquiao. No, it's just WrestleMania and people have an expectation for the brand WrestleMania. But when you build this creation and it becomes larger than life and you're sort of hanging your hat on it. And now that it's got all this value, it can just walk out the door does Vince feel like he needs to try to put a fence around some of his creations to make sure they don't wander off? You know, it, it's a double-edged sword because if you do that, then they're only yours and they're only going to get so big. You have to grow from the outside in and you want your stars to be larger than life so that everybody else in entertainment wants them. So when they go out and they do other other things, whether it be movies or television shows, everything else that they do reflects back on the company and is good for the company. It's still, you know, a John Cena or a Dave Batista or a Rock, um, any of those guys, every time that they do a movie, it, it still comes back to former WWE wrestler. John Cena did this or uh, it. it it gives that credibility and yes, you, you do hate losing some of your top stars. That sucks. That sucks for us creatively and, and in a lot of different ways. However, what it does do for new stars is say, okay, here's, here's the goal. Here's maybe what you want to do. And here's where you want to go with this. This is the opportunity at the end of the rainbow and they can't take bumps forever. Right. So that's something that they can do once they're not able to take bumps anymore. So it's a good thing. You want to get as much of them as you can while they still can perform, but hopefully be able to make them large enough names and and make them superstars in another genre based on what they did in the WWE. You know, when, when you hear rock sort of reference some professional jealousy from other guys in the locker room, are some of those guys in theory, probably using rock leaving and not being around as much as an opportunity to sort of get in Vince's ear. Well, I, I I mean, I I don't know if they're getting in Vince's ear, but I do know that there were a lot of guys that looked at rock as okay. He's deserting us. He's gone on to go make movies. We're still staying here and we're trying to make this work. That's just natural in any, in any business. When someone goes on and is successful in another, another genre, well, Fuck him. So I think that's, I think that still exists to this day. He shows up at a house show on May 14th in Fort Lauderdale. Of course he lives in that area and 
Uh, he's going to wrestle his first match in about a month here. He teams with Hogan to beat Jericho and angle. They go about 12 minutes. Rock gets the pin on Jericho and rock and Austin do a little post-match, which is longer than the match. And Hogan's trying to get rock to do the posing routine with him, but rock won't do it. Then he thanks the fans for the success of Scorpion King and says, this may be my last match for a while. And Meltzer would report that, you know, of course, everybody and their brother is doing media requests for him, uh, at this show, but, but he's not talking to anybody. And he tells people in the dressing room that Hollywood execs have told him that no one's really going to take him seriously until he leaves wrestling. And the feeling after this house show is, uh, he's really leaving and he's not coming back, but of course he's not done yet. On June 15th, he works a show in Honolulu, Hawaii, where he pins Jericho. He comes out in his native Hawaiian garb and, uh, talks about how he had a lot of high school friends at the show and had some of his friends backstage. And he considers this the biggest show of his career, even bigger than his WrestleMania main events, because he's done so much media here and all of his friends and family are here. And he starts to talk about his family and he gets upset talking about his grandfather, Peter Maivia, who was a promoter in this area and huge pop when, uh, rock would hold Chris Jericho for Bruce Willis to get a punch in. It's a, it's amazing that stuff like this isn't on the WWE network. I know it was just, you know, it's not a major show, but what a moment this was in rock's career had to be pretty special for him. Without a doubt, because when you go back and you look at his grandmother and his grandfather, Peter Maivia and Leah Maivia, they had run the island for so so many years. They dominated the island and were the promoters in Hawaii. So to be able to go back to Hawaii and main event there and to be be on a on a humongous card there that was a big deal for him rock takes that shit so seriously and so personal because it's family it truly does mean something to him he's a genuine human being that um man he he loves working hard and he loves to see those results and to be able to do it in line so to speak where you know, he's spiritually, he's looking as if his grandfather, Peter Maivia is looking down upon him and, and, and being proud of him going that, you know, that a boy grandson. So that this particular show in Hawaii was a big one and rock wanting to do it more out of respect to his grandmother, um, and make a big deal out of it. So it was special. Let's talk about the, uh, June 17th raw. Rock's going to come back here. As a reminder, this is the raw after Austin has walked out. Uh, we've covered that on uh, Austin walks out in the archives, something to wrestle.com, but he's told to put over Brock Lesnar on Monday night raw. He doesn't like that creative. He doesn't come to the show. He just goes home. He's done. So Vince is in the ring and the rock makes a surprise return on this raw. And rock says something like, finally, the rocks come back to Oakland. Vince McMahon, what's wrong? You looked a little surprised. Were you not expecting the rock? Were you expecting Steve Austin? Did you think Steve Austin was just going to walk down that ramp? And Vince says something like, as a matter of fact, and of course it doesn't matter what you thought. And he, and rock cuts a big promo about how this is home and 50 years from now, when rock is 80 years old and he's got to put in the people's denture and use the people's Walker, this will always be his home. If you smell what the rock is cooking. 
it does Vince, but when, when Vince realizes, uh Oh, we've got a problem. Um, Austin's not coming. You know, the big, the big star has wandered off. We got to have a way to sort of pull the fans back in, give them a surprise, save face, whatever the mentality. He reaches out and calls the rock and rock comes in and does him a favor and cuts this promo and baby faces it up. And this is home and I'll never leave and all that. Is that sort of the way it goes down? Well, yeah. And you know, Vince is looking to, when you have that kind of a shock and you have that kind of a void on the roster, you need to fill it with the biggest, biggest plug that you possibly can. And while everybody thought rock's gone, you know, God, we're never going to see him again. You know, for him to come back, that's that's just as big, if not bigger, than Stone Cold at the time. So the, all of that being fresh in everyone's mind and people still talking about it, this was the message that Vince wanted to get out. And this was a way to get Rock back in the fold and, and get people talking and go, holy shit. And at the same time, not knowing exactly where the hell we were with Steve, it was also the the perfect time and the right way to, you know, sometimes you'd say, don't even mention his name, but then why not mention his name? And there were those of us that were always hoping, you know, we'll get Steve back. Steve will be back. Everything will cool off. Everybody's going to kiss and make up and and we'll move on. Um, As it went on longer and longer, you wondered, but everybody was hopeful because everybody liked Steve and just wanted to make it work. And in this particular situation, when you've got a huge star like the rock and he was able to come do this it was the right thing to do. And yeah, Vince calling out and saying, I need, I need star power. I need help. Let's, uh, let's mention some of the language that the rock used here. He said something like all those guys are here because they want to be here. Everyone on SmackDown, all those guys on SmackDown, they're here because they want to be there. They get in the ring, they bust their ass and you love them for that. And they do it because they love to do it. So the rock says this, there's anybody in the back. And I swear to God, I honestly mean this. If there's anybody in the back does not want to be with this company. If there's anyone on SmackDown that does not want to be with this company, then just like the slogan says, get the F out. I mean, this, these are not so veiled shots at Steve Austin and Austin's not happy about this. And he does an interview in January of 03 and he talks about these comments and he says, so all of a sudden you got the rock out there, you know, if you don't want to be here, get the F out. Well, genius, I'd already been out and got out. So I didn't need you to come on TV flapping your gums, telling me to get the F out to me. That was the only thing that got my ass the most. Here's a guy who I was a tremendous influence on in his career in the ring. And he'll tell you the same thing. And if he don't, he's a liar. Anytime he needed advice for a problem, I'd give him the best advice I could. And I thought that was the biggest chicken shit thing I'd ever seen done to me. So far as in the business for him to go out and call me out. And that's how he pays me back. That was pathetic. Your response. No, I'm sure Steve felt that way. And Steve felt that no matter, you know, what he did and no matter what Steve did do, Steve did walk out. So how, you know, at that point, how do you counter that? How do you come back and say, oh, okay, Steve, well, it's okay that you got upset and you went home, but now what are we supposed to do? Right. Just say, okay, Steve left. Um, we've, we've got all this equity in him, built him up for all these years and done everything that we could to get him over. And he decides one day he just wants to go home. Do you think, so, it, is it against sort of, you know, unspoken 
code amongst the boys to go out and uh, side with the promoter and bury one of the boys like this? Well, I don't know that he, he buried him so much as he just told the truth at the time. He told the story and went out in character. And yeah, if you're going to go out and do it, then you're going to go out and you're going to protect the business that you're there trying to keep going. Steve's not there anymore. And Steve had made that choice at that point. Um, so I see Steve being pissed. I completely understand Steve being pissed. But you also have to look at the other side of it from the standpoint of we were in business continually, you know, being in business and trying to continually find and build another star to fill that void that was made when Steve left. Well, that's rock at that point. That's being able to, and you've, you've, you've got to say, you know, Vince wanted controversy and it, it's Steve can go out and say whatever he wants to say at any point in time. And Vince was going to have his say on his television show with anybody and wherever he could as well. The rock comes back to SmackDown on July 11th and, uh, he's going to start mocking Kurt angle, calling him Dr. Evil, sticking his pinky in his mouth. And that sets up a singles match for the next week. And later in the show, we would see undertaker and Cena beat Jericho and angle when Cena would pin Jericho. Although undertaker really set up the pin. Uh, let's get to the vengeance pay-per-view. The rock is going to win the WWE title over undertaker, uh, by pinning Kurt angle. In 19 minutes and 35 seconds, Meltzer would say it was a hell of a well-booked and well-worked match. He gave it four and a half stars, you know, triangle matches, three-way matches, triple threat matches, whatever you want to call them. You know, a lot of the guys say they're cluster fucks for whatever reason. This one was badass. What was it about this one that made it so good? I just think that the, the pacing and the way that they were able to, to make it work. And a lot of times what you have to do is you have to get rid, rid of one participant so that two guys can go tell a story, then drop one of them. And then another two guys can tell the story. And I just thought it was masterfully put together. So they were able to go out they were able to, to tell their story that was easy to understand. And that's a lot of times the audience can't even articulate why they like something. Um, Maybe it's because somebody sold more, somebody sold less, whatever that may be. Uh, that's what this was. And this was just something that was put together very well. And the guys were able to work it, make you believe and bring you into the match so that you didn't know who was going to win or what was going to happen. And sometimes as you say, it can be a clusterfuck with three guys that just want to go out and get their shit in. Well, what's next is, uh, something that I think a lot of us remember really, really well. Brock Lesnar won the King of the ring tournament the prior month. So that guaranteed him a shot at the undisputed champion at SummerSlam. So because the rock has won here, we know our SummerSlam main event and it's going to be Brock Lesnar versus the rock. But before we get there, we should mention that on the July 29th raw, we saw a bit of a dream match. It was Ric Flair and the rock. Of course, the rock wound up winning clean with the rock bottom. And there's a famous picture of rock when he's a kid with Ric Flair. And of course, rock was a huge Ric Flair fan growing up. This had to be another thrill for him. First WrestleMania with Hulk Hogan and now on raw with, uh, the goat, a guy he looked up to and had that famous picture float around when they were kids or he was a kid. Pretty cool for him to be in there with some of his, uh, 
wrestling icons when he was a kid. Well, yeah. If you even look, go back and look at rock, when rock was younger, teenager, he would dress like Ric Flair. He would talk like Ric Flair. He would try to emulate the, the woos and the cockiness and, and the, the same cadence of walk and everything that Ric Flair did. So you look at the guys that he idolized and who he stole things from for, for everything in his repertoire from his promos, the way that he walked to the ring, to the things that he did in the ring. There's a little bit of Hogan in there. There's a little bit of flair. There's some buddy Rogers. There's some Muhammad Ali. They're all wrapped up into one in the rock and for him to be in the ring and be able to wrestle guys that his dad wrestled and go out and have a match with a guy that he thought, oh my God, as a kid, if I could ever wrestle the NWA world heavyweight champion, what a thrill that would be. And now he's doing it and he's the star. So yeah, that's kicking the ass. A few days later on SmackDown, Benoit and Guerrero would beat rock and edge and Lesnar would distract the rock. And that would allow Benoit to put rock in the crossface and rock would actually tap out there. On August 19th, we see the last television match between rock and triple H it's a no DQ match, but it ends with no finish when Lesnar and Shawn Michaels get involved. Uh, I think that's sort of interesting that that's the last TV match between these guys around the same time, you know, we got to start building hype for SummerSlam and you guys did a tremendous job on telling the story of the athleticism about our two combatants here, both Brock Lesnar and the rock. We see training montages for both. Uh, and the rock has definitely dropped some weight here for some Hollywood roles. I'm sure, but he is, uh, working at the Miami dolphins training camp and we're seeing, you know, him at the U, uh, running, you know, stadiums. And it's, it's really a, a phenomenal job of building an athletic contest. It's reminiscent of, you know, some of the packages that the UFC would put together SummerSlam. Here we go. 16 minutes and one second. Three and a quarter stars is what Meltzer would give it. Of course, we know Brock Lesnar is going to get the win, but the criticism from Meltzer would be that the crowd almost took attention away from the match because at this point, the fans, believe it or not, have turned on the rock. They're so pro Lesnar and the reactions are so strong against the rock. I mean, they're trying to boo him out of the building. And I guess you guys knew that coming in because the rock throws a low blow, which is uncharacteristic for him at the time, but he's doing it and he's booed throughout the match. And when it's, when it's all said and done, Lesnar wins. And he is now the youngest WWE world champion in history up to that point. He's only like 26 years old. And after the match, half the crowd is still chanting Rocky sucks at him. So he grabs the mic, does his whole finally the rock has come back and there's more and more boos. So he just ends with, it doesn't matter where the rock has come back to. And he starts to say things like, whether you like it or not, I'm still the people's champion. And he starts, uh, you know, if you smell, and then he stops and says, it's no longer sing a long time with the rock. And the entire building is just booing the shit out of him. Uh, but this is it for the rock for a little bit. He's going to go well, work on another movie. Uh, hell Dorado is what's written at the time. It doesn't come back until January of 2003, uh, January 30th to be exact. Chat me up. What do you remember about the, the build with this Lesnar match, the match itself, and then the post-match where the fans were just done with the rock? Well, actually, you know, when rock came back, we knew when he was leaving to go off and do his movie and looking at 
who's the next guy, the next big thing. That was actually the gimmick and the real thing was Brock Lesnar. And and Rock wanted to work with Brock and put him over in the best way that he could. So they did that. But it was, I don't know, it was shocking. I don't know anybody was surprised by the crowd reaction at all because we had seen it before. And at this point, you know, it was like Rock just wanting to be able to turn full heel and go off on the audience and that's what he wanted to do. And that's what he did and had fun with it. It was not, it was nothing more than, Oh yeah, you want to boo me? I'm going to give you a reason. I'm going to give you even more reason to boo me and just turned it on thick. And every time he went away, every time he came back, they loved him even more. The rock made a surprise and unadvertised appearance at the January 4th house show in Anaheim. Uh, they're doing a no DQ match with Jericho and, uh, just Jericho and Booker with Christian interfering and rock makes the save. And after the match, both rock and Booker are doing spin Rooney's and, uh, not a surprise, I guess rock. gets a, a huge baby face reaction, the biggest pop on the show, but there's also fans there chanting sellout at him. It, it wasn't advertised to happen. So it is a last minute decision by the rock to come and say hi to everyone and ask him if he wants to do something. And of course he jumps at the chance to get out there and have some fun, but there's still some backlash here, even on just an unadvertised surprise. It's weird how wrestling fans really take ownership. Is it not? It is because it's, it's their guy and they want him to be their guy and they feel betrayed when they want to go on and do something else. However, I think that the vast majority of them are happy as hell when they come back and they return. But at that point, you know, some of the more jaded wrestling fans will look at it and go, oh, yep, you're a sellout. You're not doing this anymore. And you have to ask yourself, what the hell am I supposed to do for the rest of my life when uh, no matter what happens, I can't take bumps anymore or I can't take the punishment. I've got to do something else to feed my family. Uh, Give them a break. I guess we should mention that um, an interview pops up with Dwayne Johnson, where he's talking about his movie career and somehow it leads up to discussing professional wrestling. And he says something like he's going to wrestle no way out at no way out against Hogan. And then at WrestleMania against Goldberg and then retire from wrestling because you know, the movies are just taking too much. He's got too many offers and he's got to start filming walking tall and the article also claims that McMahon is going to interfere to give him the win over Hogan at no way out, which is really weird because like who would fucking write that? But yet here it is. And that leads to a lot of speculation because of this article that there's going to be rock Goldberg at WrestleMania 19. Now we know that's not what winds up happening. Instead it's rock and Austin. Uh, we've touched on this before, but briefly catch us up. Were there ever any preliminary discussions for rock Goldberg at WrestleMania 19? No. Uh, the rock is expected to play the lead role in MGM's remake of walking tall. Uh, the Hollywood trade journals are going to start breaking that story. And they're saying that it's expected to be made very, very quickly. And, uh, the rock's going to play the role of Buford Pusser, who was played in 73 by Joe Dan Baker. And the real life pusser actually worked as a pro wrestler, uh, which was not portrayed in the original movie. Uh, 
you're a walking tall fan. what did you think of this uh, decision to have rock play Buford? Well, he did not play Buford Pusser. Yeah, but the, it's the same spot in the show. Okay. Rock and I got in a huge argument over this. I love this. All right. Because I, I am a Buford Pusser fan and, and one of my brothers actually got to meet him, got his picture taken with him and all this shit. But I remember the original walking tall and to this day, still think it's one of the best movies I've, I've ever seen. Um, and I love the true story of, of Buford Pusser. So rock knew this and rock goes, Hey, check it out. I'm doing walking tall. And I look at him and go, Hmm. All right. He says, well, he says, it's, it's, the movie's going to be walking tall, but it's based on, you know, walking tall. And it's not, it's not the Tennessee story. It's going to be based in, uh, I think it was Oregon or something at the time. And he says, man, we're really going to have some fun with this thing. And I'm like, all right. He goes, no, no, no. You're really going to like it. You're really going to like it. So I went in with a preconceived idea that I was going to hate it. (laughs) Uh, I just, you know, I didn't want to see it. I was pissed off that they would do, do another remake and, um, that it wasn't the true, that it wasn't the story of Buford Pusser. So when you get there and it's not Buford, it's somebody else, but kind of the same, you know, based on the same events and, and what have you, uh, yeah, man, I was pissed off and I watched it and gave it the benefit of the doubt. And at the end of the day, I thought that the movie was good. I still today, when it comes on and it's on one of the movie channels at whatever time that it'll make me stop and I'll go back and watch it because it was entertaining. And I don't know if that's just because it's, it's rock doing it or that it was that good, but you can't look at it as this is the Buford Pusser story. No, this is a movie named with the same name, walking tall, loosely based on the same premise of Buford Pusser's life story. Eh, and then you go, okay, now I'll just sit back and have fun. Cause I, I removed all the preconceived notions that I had, but I hate, I hated it until I saw it. I hated the idea of it. The very idea that they're going to fuck with Buford Pusser's legacy in his story. Apparently his kids didn't Buford Pusser's kids didn't want him the rock to play Buford Pusser either. So it's weird that you had so much in common, you old asshole. Um, it comes out in a St. Louis interview on a radio station there when he's doing some promotion for, uh, his different films that, Hey, he is definitely going to be doing the walking tall movie. And when they come up with the wrestling questions, he says, Hey, I wanted to wrestle Goldberg, but that's probably not going to happen. Um, things aren't going well in the negotiations. But I am going to get to wrestle Hulk Hogan one more time. And of course we know that's going to be all about no way out. Uh, that's going to go down and rock gets another win 12 minutes, 20 seconds. Uh, this one, not nearly as revered as the first one. In fact, people almost don't talk about it. Uh, the build to it was not nearly the same either. Hogan and rock would have a face off interview. Rock winds up spitting water in Hogan's face and walking away. And, uh, when the actual match comes around, well, Meltzer gives it a dud. 
He said rock got very little reaction coming out of it. Some of it may have been new music, but even when he came out, people weren't really sure they need to cheer or boo. He has an incredible ring presence, but nobody really knows how to react. Are we supposed to love him? Are we supposed to hate him? And he says that, uh, because the crowd just really didn't know how to react. Uh, it wasn't a great match and they had lots of weird interference here. Uh, Sylvan is involved. Vince McMahon is involved. What did you think? I mean, compared to the WrestleMania 18 match, no comparison. Was it a mistake to even try to do it again? Yeah, you, you tried to get lightning in a bottle twice and didn't happen. It, it really sucked. I wish we had left it on the one. And, but again, you, you have the two big stars. You, you, you try to c- capture what you had before, but that, that magic was already gone. Well, the next time on raw rock gives everybody a, a clear perspective on the way they're supposed to handle him. He does an awesome promo. He's playing with the crowd. He's venting all of his frustrations. He's going to make fun of them for chanting his name. He makes fun of them when they pop because he mentions Toronto. He makes fun of them for booing him at mania. They chant you sold out at, uh, at him without prompting, which of course gave him another opportunity to make fun of him. And later in the show, uh, rock comes out and starts playing the guitar and singing. And this is <laughs> yet again, the rock reinventing himself. Uh, hurricane's going to come in and they're going to argue about superheroes and the rock calls him the hamburglar. And he says, uh, all real superheroes could take the green lantern. Hurricane said the green lantern could take the scorpion King because even Brendan Fraser did that. And rock said that was all special effects. And hurricane noted that the scorpion King couldn't fly. And then he does his flyaway gimmick. And Later in the show, Rock's involved in a battle royal. The winner, of course, gets a title shot against Triple H at WrestleMania. Rock ends up leaving the ring and announcing. And uh, it comes down to Kane, Booker T, Steiner, Christian, and Rock. Kane throws out Steiner. Rock comes back from the broadcast position and throws out Christian and Kane. He works a few spots with Booker until Booker tosses him over. And after the show's over, he's goofing on Vince Carter and Jerome Williams of the Raptors who were there. And, uh, he entertains the crowd after as well. So the rock is back. We're on our March to WrestleMania and he's pulling out all the stops to enter, to, to entertain however he can. But when he first started doing the guitar gimmick on TV, that's another level of the rock we'd never seen before. Yes. And that, that's one they love. Who the hell, who was in the rafters? You just said somebody was up in the rafters. No. Oh, okay. The Raptors. They're a basketball team in Toronto where they were doing the show. And, and so they were in the rafters in the, they play the, the, their team name is the Toronto Raptors. Like, like a, like a dinosaur. Oh, okay. Like okay. a Raptor, okay. like a well, Ford truck in, the, in this hockey you speak of. So sticks and pucks. Oh, okay. The pucks. I got it. All right. Yeah. I like it. Okay, cool. Uh, on the March 3rd raw backstage rock is going to refuse to be interviewed by Jonathan coachman and rock goes back in his locker room where hurricane had been hiding out. They have another entertaining battle where hurricane is going to question the size of rocks manhood. You know, this is, um, an interesting pairing. You know, we're going to, we're not done with, with hurricane. We've got more with him, but. 
why did the rock want to do something with hurricane? I mean, this is a career moment for hurricane. I mean, you got the biggest star in the business, one of the biggest movie stars in the business, and he sees something in hurricane or wants to work with him. Or did somebody else say, Hey, I think this could be funny or these guys could work. Well, how does that pairing come to be? Well, first of all, the hurricane came to be from Steve Austin, looking at his ring where he had the green lantern ring and brought it up just impromptu in a live, uh, backstage segment in Chicago, Illinois, we were doing it. And what the hell is that kid? And, and hurricane was born from that, but both Austin and rock were so entertained by hurricane and Brian Gewertz wrote a lot of hurricane stuff and wrote rock shit to where it was a natural they enjoyed. They could do that impromptu stuff that felt good. It was highly entertaining and hurricane could go in the ring and they could have a good match, but it was, it was the Gaga and everything outside of the ring that made it entertaining to make people want to be interested in it. It's good stuff, man. Later in the show, Austin's going to come out and say, thank you. As the fans are cheering him. He doesn't say much else when rock comes out and then challenges him to a match at WrestleMania Bischoff comes out and announced that rock and Booker T next week in Cleveland. And if rock wins, he can choose between either Austin or triple H and a title shot at mania. And then he orders three minute warning to hit the ring and they do, but they all get stunned. And then Austin and rock have a stare down rock backs off, then attacks Austin, but Austin fires back and rock gets to uh, escape the stunner. So he runs away there and dodges that one. The March 10th raw rock said he's not going to wrestle Booker because all he wants to do is beat Austin at WrestleMania. And Bischoff said he'd let him pick his opponent that night. So later in the show, rock is backstage playing the guitar. Uh, he's playing a song called Cleveland sucks. Hurricane shows up. They do more comedy and it sets up their match later in the show. This is good stuff because hurricane winds up getting a pin on the rock after Austin distracted the rock. So of course he got that, a damn roll up at schoolboy from behind works every time, man, almost what a moment for hurricane great friend of the show, pinning the rock on TV when he's at the, the tippy top of the heap. This is awesome. Yes, it was. And it was highly entertaining and it got people to watch it. It made the show fun. And you had your serious issues and your serious angles going on, but yet rock was able to be entertaining. He was able to still draw and he was able to have fun with the hurricane stuff on TV and make compelling television. Uh, on the next week on raw rock is going to tease doing a rock concert, but he tells Bischoff, he doesn't want to do it in St. Louis because all their pie smells bad. Uh, he's going to do it next week in Sacramento. Uh, of course we're going to have a bit of a, a situation where Austin is going to use a stunner. Rock's going to hit the ring, give Austin a stunner. Austin's going to kick out of the pin. Rock sets up the people's elbow. Austin moves, hits a stunner. Uh, this is all happening on Morley, who I guess is, uh, the, the chief of police or whatever they're calling him for Eric Bischoff. He's Bischoff's right hand man. And, uh, eventually we get rock laying out Austin with a rock bottom and he grabs a case of beer and goes to drink it, but really only takes a sip and, uh, it's kind of fun. Also fun is the March 15th Miami house show. We would see rock get a clean win over Brock Lesnar here with the rock bottom. But what's interesting is after the match, he's doing a promo and introduces his wife and his brother-in-law 
his mother, his grandmother, as well as some players from the Dolphins. He thanks the crowd for cheering him and says, I know you're supposed to boo. And he says to Lesnar, he was happy he didn't have to take an F5 because that really hurts. Uh, fun stuff here. But the March 24th Raw is where we see Austin open the show, challenging The Rock to come out and says he's not going to leave until he does. And of course, um, 12 police officers come out with Bischoff eventually. They have a court order banning Austin from the Arco Arena. And as the officers are kicking him out, Rock is singing Jailhouse Rock. And uh, this is good stuff. Later in the show, Rock does his rock concert with the guitar in the ring. He's singing about the fat women in Sacramento and how Austin must be mixing pot with his beer if he thinks he can win. Uh, are you out there selling bootleg t-shirts for $5? Uh, Rock does some Willie Nelson and then finishes with some acapella Sinatra. Hold your applause. Great stuff. Of course, at the end of the show, we know uh, Austin is going to drive the truck into the arena. But it turns out it's Hurricane who's now hauled off by the cops. And then Austin appears from the back of the truck. Hits the ring for his revenge. Great stuff. Fun way to build a WrestleMania 19. And of course we know at WrestleMania 19, there's a whole backstory about what was going on with Steve. And you can hear all about that in a couple of different episodes in the archive, specifically WrestleMania 19. And we've covered Austin in this era as well. Uh, but this match is not nearly what, you know, some of their other matches were, but still a hell of a match. Four stars, 17 minutes, 53 seconds. Uh, Rock's going to do an, uh, an interview in the show that is really, really good. Um, it's a fun match and it's, it's, it's Steve's really his last match. When did you guys know, Hey, this is probably it for Steve Austin. I mean, what a way to do it and to go out. And The Rock to beat him at, at WrestleMania. Of course, it's a trilogy of WrestleMania matches for them. 15, 17, and 19. When did you guys know that's probably a wrap for Austin? I don't know that we knew, knew until, until we were there. And when I say what I mean by that is we knew that it was coming to an end and this was probably going to be it. But in the back of your mind, you're hoping it's not. And you're, you're thinking that... um you know, he can get through this. Maybe it's just another nagging injury and maybe they can fix it. And, and there's no way he can stay away for too long. So you, you do, man, you cloud your mind with hope and optimism that everything's going to be okay, but it's, you know, you're dealing with, with human beings and unfortunately life takes over and, and real shit comes in and overrules your happy ass what you're what you're thinking what you're hoping for in your fantasy world um but we kind of knew beforehand i mean we we had that feeling we were just hoping it wasn't true i guess we should mention the night before austin winds up hospitalized uh and they're lucky just to get the match put together and, and and make it happen but you can see if you go back and watch this match um when the rock pins him he leans over to talk to Steve and he pushes Earl Hebner away and rock is telling Steve, thank you for everything you've done for me. And I love you and I appreciate you. And I mean, this is sort of the end of an era. I mean, never, I don't think we'll ever see a trilogy of matches with the two biggest stars at this level in the business ever again, you know, between 15, 17 and 19. 
what happened when they came backstage? Did you ever talk to either of the guys about what was said? You know, when the rock was, was leaning down, talking to him, what do you remember about this? I just remember being very emotional and, and it's emotional because of what we were all feeling looking at this going, are we ever going to have the, the caliber of, of talent that's in that match that brought the business as a whole to the stratosphere that they did. So we knew we were losing rock too. I mean, you, you knew that you didn't have rock for long term that he wasn't going to be denied in Hollywood and that he would be a huge star there. So it's that, it's that fucking reality that slaps you in the face sometimes. So it was an emotional, emotional night and match because you got the best of the best who were great friends. And you're looking at it saying, man, that's the last time I get to see this because reality of the situation is, is that, uh, everybody's going to be going in different directions here pretty quick. Well, the next night on Raw, they're doing Rock Appreciation Night. Austin comes out first and does a totally unstone cold like interview, saying that he got his ass whipped the previous night, and on that night, Rock was the better man. But he'd beaten Rock two out of three times at WrestleMania, and he challenges him to come out. But instead, Bischoff comes out, says he's read Austin's medical report, and Bischoff says he's firing him for his own good. And uh, as a little inside jab, he says, I've already sent a FedEx to your house. Rock comes out and they show a video of all of his great moments over the last two months. And there's a huge Goldberg chant. Of course, the fans have read online that maybe Goldberg's going to be here. And rock tries to say his accountant, Ira Goldberg isn't here. And of course, eventually Goldberg does show up huge monster pop, which we've covered all on our Goldberg episodes in the archives. But you know, the match you wanted at WrestleMania uh, with Goldberg didn't happen, but we're off to the races the very next day uh, on the April 7th raw rock is hitting on Trish Stratus. And at this time, uh, Jeff Hardy is her storyline boyfriend. And when Jeff shows up, rock tells Jeff he's busy and couldn't sign an autograph. And that sets up a match between them later in the show. Rock gets a win over Jeff Hardy, of course, just under seven minutes. And he's calling Goldberg a bitch to get him to come out and Goldberg comes out, but it's not near the pop it was before, but we're set for this big angle now in this big match with Goldberg and the rock on the April 21st raw. There's another rock concert and Gilberg would come out and they're really having fun mocking Goldberg here and Goldberg runs through security and is throwing them around until rock lays him out with a rock bottom and leaves him laying and Goldberg jogs slowly after rock who took off in a Hummer limo. And then Goldberg got in his car and apparently blew out his transmission. So he took off on foot and you've told this story before, but now it feels like just as good. Uh, yeah. Um, they'd kept starting and restarting the car to make sure the car would start when Goldberg got out and basically flooded the car. So when Goldberg did get there, the car was flooded. And then the more Goldberg tried to, to get it to start, the more it flooded. And it was just, it was just snake bit from the very beginning, man. And, and poor Bill is, is sitting there trying to do something, anything. And so he got out and, and ran. And the idea, you know, was that once he drove away, rock would be revealed inside, but they were so damn close when Bill just went to run away. We had to go somewhere and we're getting, 
calls from the truck, go to rock, go to rock. And here comes rock around the corner. So it, it just buried Bill even more because they were just so close uh, distance wise. So, yeah, it sucked. Yeah, later in the show, Rock returns to the ring for an encore. Goldberg comes out. Christian attacks him from behind. Rock follows up with a pair of chair shots on Goldberg, and we're set for the back, Backlash pay-per-view, which I think is the first and only match between Rock and Goldberg. Uh, not a great match. Uh, it didn't get uh, a huge rating. I think it got one and a quarter stars. They go 13 minutes and three seconds. Of course, Goldberg gets the win, uh, but it's written... But it, by every realistic sense, Rock won the match. Rock is already a star in the company, and nothing could take that away. Rock seemed to think his job in this match was to entertain and lose to Goldberg to make him viable for a return match, but his job was to put Goldberg over, and losing and putting someone over are not the same thing. Uh, what do you make of this uh, criticism of this match in the dirt sheets? And specifically, uh, what did you think of this match? I mean, the, the only match between these two. I thought it sucked. I uh, just, they did not have chemistry and I don't know that the audience rock was so damn entertaining that he, he can't help himself. He's going to go out and he's going to entertain. And he was put in a position that, okay, um, I've got to be the rock. So you have, you have that and you've got Goldberg who's new, but he's not the same Goldberg that he was in WCW and the match just sucked. The chemistry sucked everything about it. It, it was snake bitten from the very, very beginning that everything that we tried to do didn't work. Nothing worked. And then when they finally hooked up in the match that didn't work either. And the audience knew it and, and you could feel the air come out of the building that night. It, it just, to me was a letdown and for, for Bill that being his, his real debut match on a major pay-per-view, it, it didn't do him any favors either. Rock comes back on June 2nd and the show opens with rock stepping out of a limo mugging for the camera. And later in the show, Christian is going to interview rock and proclaim himself the new people's champion and Jericho comes out and eventually joins Christian in an attack on the rock and then Booker makes the save and rock performs a spin Uh, eventually he's out here promoting his movie, the rundown, which is going to be coming out on September 26, 2003. And it got lots of critical acclaim, uh, rotten tomatoes, a review site gave it four out of five stars and called a slam dunk of an action flick that keeps things moving at a breakneck pace while also being funny as all get out. And it's complimenting the rock on his flair for comedy. And the LA times would report that the rock was making 12 and a half million dollars for the movie, which uh, Meltzer would say is about $4 million more than Steve Austin made in his peak year for WWE combining his match payoffs and merchandising royalties. And that now the rock has got several more movies lined up with universal pictures and none of them for less than $10 million each. Of course, rundown would show up at number one in the box office, and he's got to do tons of promotion out here for the movie. And this time when he's making the, the circuit to promote the movie wrestling almost never comes up. Do you think that's by design? I mean, wrestling was such a big part of his history. Uh, it feels like it would have been a natural for any interviewer to bring up. Do you think that there was a time in his career where he would maybe his handlers rather would say, no, we're not going to talk about wrestling. So don't bring that up because they could have thought, Hey, that, that might hurt us. 
I think that there were people around him that were definitely not wanting to bring wrestling up and probably asking everybody that was doing interviews, Hey, don't bring up the wrestling thing, man. We're here to promote the movie. This is what we want to promote. He's doing acting now. And here's the story, guys. We got to, we got to talk about the rundown and, and focus on that. And that's what they did. He appeared on the late, late show with Craig Kilborn in early October. And when someone in the audience yelled, do the people's elbow, Kilborn asked if that's a wrestling thing. And he says, do you still get a lot of wrestling things shouted at you? And rock said, yes. And I love wrestling too. So he then tells a story about how he was about to participate in an orgy the night he met his wife. But after meeting Danny, he backed out of the orgy with the two other guys and six girls. Uh, and he laughed and said he was incredibly drunk. So some fun stories here from the rock on the late, late show. The December 8th raw law resistance are beating up Mick Foley and rock makes a surprise return. Uh, this is sort of, uh, out of the blue and, and he would tell WWE.com just looking at my calendar. I knew I had this week open and I was out here anyway, doing pre-production stuff. I just wanted to get the ball rolling and have fun now. What do you remember about how this came together? I mean, sort of out of place, but really a fun surprise. Yeah. And, and Mick Foley really wanted to be able to get to the rock and sock connection and, and do that one last time at WrestleMania. So rocket pitched it and. Vince liked it and thought if he could get rock to come back and do one more WrestleMania for him at that point, that it would be a, a big deal. And that was the WrestleMania in Madison square garden. It was a huge, you know, a huge deal for WrestleMania 20. So rock was like, yeah, I'll see about it. And was doing little things. I don't even think that we really had rock committed at this point for WrestleMania had an idea. He was trying to get there, but, uh, it was a, as he said, he was there and got the ball rolling. And then I think once he tasted it, he was like, yeah, I'm, I've got to do this. So, uh, Mike Keller would report that, you know, rock's not going to be a part of any TV in January, but he is going to commit to being uh, here for the build for WrestleMania. And specifically he quotes, I think rock is all about Hollywood right now. I think he owes Vince McMahon this WrestleMania appearance, but that's about it. Let's not forget that Vince is basically rocks, Hollywood agent. Vince gets a percentage of what rock makes in Hollywood. And then he brings in extra revenue by having rock wrestle on pay-per-views. That's something I don't think we we've talked about a lot here on the show. The idea that when the rock first started doing his movies, he was billed as the rock and then eventually the rock Dwayne Johnson and now just Dwayne Johnson. And there's been lots of speculation over the years. I don't know what you'd know or don't know or can share or can't share, but is that Rumor and innuendo true that Vince McMahon and, and WWE got those executive producer credits because they were licensing the name. And that was the reason or the way that they got a payday in the movie business as well. Well, certain intellectual property, you know, the rock was their intellectual property and it was someone that had been built on their TV shows. And Vince had a great deal to do originally early on with rocks movie career. So, you know, th those things were already built in. I mean, is there any sort of, um, backlash or pushback from rock about that or, or see, see cool mode with it? Oh God. No, he, he was happy because again, that got him the opportunity that got him in the door. So for Vince to be able to, most people knew him as the rock. So for WWE to be able to go in and, you know, work the deal and say, okay, yeah, you can use the rock and you can have him. 
Uh, of course, because they're going to make their deal too. So we want to be whatever their deal was. We want to be executive producer, whatever the hell that deal is. Yes. And they do movie studios do that all the time with people. The March 1st raw Mick Foley's music is going to hit and he comes out and gets to the ring and starts talking and evolution music quickly plays and Orton, Batista and flair make their way down. And Orton says he knows the interview last week was supposed to scare evolution, but Orton wonders how Foley wants to handle this. We can have another beat down or we can have a one-on-one match at WrestleMania 20. And Foley says he knows there will never be a one-on-one match between the two of them. Foley says no deal, but he has a better idea. The three of them versus Foley and a partner of his choice. And Orton says he knows where this is going. He's heard the rumors. So he tells him to go to the back and call up Mr. Walking Tall and telling that everything is a go because evolution accepts. And, uh, Foley rolls out of the ring, says he will go call the rock. And it might be better if Orton tells rock to his face and rock comes sprinting out, takes out flair while Batista drops or Foley drops Batista. And then there's a double team on Orton with Foley putting the mandible claw on him. And he turns it into a spine buster followed by the people's elbow. So WrestleMania 20 is set. Uh, the March 8th raw, we would see rock arrive backstage and then talk with hurricane and Rosie. He insults coach, of course, and later in the show, he does the, this is your life. Mick Foley segment where he brings out an old lady who owned the house that Foley dove off of as a teenager. They made some pie jokes. Jimmy Snuka comes out next, followed by a book critic who panned Foley's book and, uh, evolution attacks Foley and rock to end the show. So this is fun. It's sort of a nod to the role reversal of things from years past where Mick hosted a, this is your life segment for the rock, which drew huge ratings. Whose idea was it to bring back? This is your life and do it with a Foley twist. Uh, I think it was Brian Gwertz who, who was writing raw at the time and came up with that, but Mick Foley kind of wanting to recreate, which was one of the highest rated segments in raw history with that whole, this is your life. Even though it went 12 minutes heavy, I wanted to kill him. Um, but it was a combination of all of them. Let, let's go back and revisit some of that stuff because people still were talking about, you know, Yurkle the clown and all that good shit. Good stuff, man. WrestleMania 20, uh, is going to happen March 14th, 2004. Of course, at MSG, we've just recently covered this one in the archives, but you know, what's happening. It's Randy Orton, Ric Flair and Batista. And on the other side, Mick Foley and the rock and evolution gets the win in 17 minutes and nine seconds. They got three and a quarter stars. Um, Meltzer would say the match was, it was what it needed to be. It was remark wasn't remarkably better than expectations. Uh, but it met all things considered. It had some nice spotlight moments, but, um, Foley has said that Austin approached him afterwards and said the match sucked. What'd you think of this three on two WrestleMania 20 match? Dude, it was it was a fun aha match. That's what it was there for. It was a rock spotlight. It was for Mick to get you know his WrestleMania moment that he wanted there for WrestleMania 20. These guys all wanted to be a part of it. I mean, it wasn't meant to be a, a 42 star Egg Dome Tokyo Dome extravaganza fucking double wrist lock bullshit. It was meant to be an entertaining a return of the Rock and to get star power on the show. So. I, for that, I enjoyed the hell out of it because it did exactly everything it was supposed to do. Of course, Foley has been critical. You know, he's his own worst critic sometimes. And, and he felt like he shouldn't have done this match and he shouldn't have returned 
you know, after he retired originally, he should have just stayed retired. And this is actually his last match for a little while. And it's rock's last match until 2011. How did, um, what did rock think of this match? Was he happy with this being it for a while? And why did he want to do it in this way against evolution and with Foley? Well, rock was happy with the match and rock just, you know, went out and did his thing and he was happy to be a part of history. And what I mean by that was being in WrestleMania 20 and come back and do a big show. Plus it was a rekindling thing. It wasn't a big feature match from the standpoint of, you know, that wasn't the marquee match on the card. The two title matches were, but then again, to have rock on the card meant something. And to have Mick coming out of retirement meant something. So, look, I I thought it worked, and I thought that it was it was what it was supposed to be. And and you can't turn back the the hands of the clock in time and have Ric Flair be the Ric Flair of 1982. You can't have Mick Foley be the Mick Foley of 1994, and so on and so forth. But the nostalgia and the, those stars being in the ring at the same time for that event, I did everything that it was supposed to do. Rock comes back to TV on May 17th that year, 2004 coaches berating and humiliating Eugene as part of the angle where Bischoff is trying to send Eugene home crying and the rock comes back for an unadvertised appearance. He walks out to the ring, tells Eugene, he was his friend rips on coach. And Eugene tells coach, it doesn't matter what you think, borrowing one of the rocks catchphrases. And as rock suggested, he and Eugene kick coaches candy ass all over San Diego. Garrison Cade runs out and attacks rock and Eugene from behind. Of course, rock and Eugene fight back and rock invites Eugene to give coach a people's elbow, which he does. And the crowd just eats it up. And then the rock raises Eugene's arm in the air. How does this one come to be just right place, right time. And he's available. Cause this was a cool little moment on raw. Exactly. And, and that's how, you know what, that's how a lot of rocks appearances, you know, from, from this time on until, uh, he came back and did the stuff with Cena, I assume, but it would be rock would be somewhere and all the stars and moon would line up and he said, Hey, I'm available that night. Let's go do something. A few weeks later, rock would be, uh, presented the country music entertainer of the year award on the, uh, country music awards on CBS. He's not winning the award. He's presenting the award. So he, either way though, he's crossed over big star in every category, including even, you know, country music awards. Uh, he goes back to raw on August 23rd. He does 15 minutes interacting with the diva search candidates and the crowd. And he's doing all of his comedy bits and Tajiri even brings out a tray of pies and he has each of the remaining six candidates eat pie as seductively as they could. And one of them sat on the pie because she said her butt was hungry. And then coach interrupted with law resistance by his side. And he says, the rock show is over and rock tells them to bring it on. They do. And of course, Rhino and Tajiri help rock clear the ring. And that really brings, uh, rocks 2004 to a close, at least wrestling wise. It's uh, pretty unbelievable. The, the run that he had here where he starts out you know, the biggest wrestling star in the world and a returning Steve Austin. And that doesn't really go the way everybody wants it to. Austin walks out. The rocks movie career takes off. It's an interesting little snapshot of the rocks career as it really starts to wind down. Is it not? 
Yeah, and I think that, well, one career was winding down and another one was winding up because that's where his movie career really started to explode as well. And when you look at everything that he had done through the years, and there's a few guys, Kurt Angle's one of them, The Rock is another one, of people that trained here in the studio with my brother Tom that I would ask, how's he doing? And, And he would always say, he goes, I didn't really, I never had to train the rock because he was a natural and stepped in the ring and and knew what the hell he was doing just from all those years. And all he had to do was just kind of fine tune him and get him ready for the show. So this was a culmination of all of that. And the, what rock had done in the wrestling business in WWE to become the star that enabled him to go outside of WWE and become a huge movie star. And, um, I think he's done. All right. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think, he, I think he's done. All right. Yeah. It's sort of fun to, to look back and sort of fantasy book things though. Like, you know, if he had, I mean, obviously you know, when people have that, that famous Mount Rushmore discussion, Almost everybody puts him on the Mount Rushmore. I mean, the four most common answers are probably Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Stone Cold, and The Rock. But it's interesting because when you really look at The Rock, he did it in a handful of years. I mean, you look at the, the, the longevity of a Steve Austin career. I'm not just saying once Austin got hot, but I mean start to finish. And The Rock debuted for you guys on TV and you know at the Survivor Series 1996 and you know, by 2001, five years later, he's, he's a movie star and he's going to hang around for a little bit, but realistically he's a movie star and it took five years, you know, to, to sort of start to finish really. And what if he had a 15 year career, what would that have looked like? I mean, there's no telling the heights that the rock could have achieved. And obviously he chose a different path and we know that one worked out and he probably made a ton more money as a result, but we'll never see anything like that ever again. Will we? You never know, but he deserves everything he gets. He's a hardworking son of a gun. Well, and we hope that you guys enjoyed everything you got this week on our rock episode with the exception of one pre-roll and one little plug for our friends over at blue chew, a little commercial free show this week here on something to wrestle. And I'm looking forward with what we've got coming down the pike. I know that, uh, you're busier than a one-armed paper hanger these days. And I appreciate you taking time to join us as well today. And. Uh, we made it happen from your new office in WWE, our three year <laughs> anniversary too. like uh, happy anniversary, baby. I don't think we could have seen this coming three years ago. And, uh, this one's been a long time in the works next week, 20 years of Jericho. It's hard to believe, but, uh, next Friday will be the exact 20 year anniversary of Chris Jericho debuting with WWE. And, uh, it's going to be a fun conversation. We're going to cover that show August 9th, 1999 through his win over rock and Austin and vengeance 2001. So about two years and change in Jericho's career on August 16th, we'll go back and revisit SummerSlam 04 on August 23rd. It's all about SummerSlam 1999 and then a fun watch along to close out the month, August 30th, SummerSlam 1989. We've got a SummerSlam month, man, but I'm looking forward to next week. What can we expect to talk about with Chris Jericho? Well, we're going to talk, obviously going to talk about that very first promo with him in the rock with Jericho, with his hair all up in a bun on top of his, it wasn't in a bun. It was kind of like a curlicue on top of his head and uh, the little animosity towards Chris Jericho when he first came in and jealousy of what the hell is this guy doing? And is he big enough to ever make it in WWE? Don't miss it next Friday at noon, every Friday at noon, right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard.
Shaka Khan. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.